That's right. It's comfy chair time. <laughs> it's comfy chair and my Princess Leia headset is uh, on. Uh, the top part, it gives me a, a great sense of youth. It just gives me a great sense of youth. So, yeah, if you want to join, let's see here. I got myself set up on the Telegram. And if uh, you want to let me know, yeah, it's it's cash night tonight. Um, this is uh, one of the least pleasant chairs in my house. <laughs> but uh, if you have, uh, I've got stuff to talk about. I am very happy to have you guys talk about it as well. Let me just see here. Uh, night. And da, 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 da. share invite link. All right, so yeah, if you want to join in, this is the invite link. If you're on um, on Telegram, is it the Robert Barnes comfy chair look? Good morning from Melbourne, Australia. Good morning, Mike. How how are you doing? Well, this reminds me of 2008. Steph, where's the red wall gone? I'm just going to enjoy the fact that 2008 was 13 years ago, and you're 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 reminded of me. Uh, tell us some hard truths. <laughs> oh man, all the truth these days are hard, if not downright suicidal, don't you think? So uh, yeah, if you want to uh, join in the chat, I'm I'm happy to have you um, ask ask me any questions. We can talk about it that way. You can type your questions in here, and or we could talk some art. We could talk some art. Been listening for years. So excited to see you live in action. Wanting Seth to explain why the Dollar Tree isn't aisles of vending machines. The vending machine thing was 100 years ago. Fake jobs. I was like, what the F? Where's Stefan's voice coming from all of a sudden? Had the live stream open on one of the browser tabs. Oh, isn't that great? Uh, when you're doing some sort of processing and what happens is um, something's playing somewhere. And you just got to hunt needle in a haystack to try and figure out what's going on. That that chair cover would make a lovely shirt. Not in this or any other universe. Uh, somebody says, I, I want you to know I genuinely love you. Thank you, thank you for everything you've guided me through your, my 20s. Dude, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, I love the love. I share the love. I return the love. But remember, everything that you treasure about me is your intelligence and wisdom to follow philosophy. I'm just a doorway. You're the one who has to make it through. So thank you. That's very, very kind. Uh, so yeah, you've done peaceful parenting. Your six-year-old's still throwing tantrums. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I am happy to, you know, just join me in the chat, man. Uh, join me in the chat. I will put it here and we can uh, we can talk through it and go in through that, right? Steph, please talk about Bitcoin being the revolution we've been waiting for. Shorting the government would be the downfall of the courtocracy. Oh, ex excited you've joined unauthorized.tv. Hope to get a subscription soon. Yes, I'm very happy to have joined unauthorized.tv. And um, looking forward to chatting with Razorfist. Man, that guy, that guy, Razorfist, has got uh, a machine gun of syntax coiled up in his brain. And it's actually really, really cool. So. Good evening. Good evening, Held Venom. I hope you are doing well. And uh, oh, let me just throw up one or two other places in case people want to join the chat through another method methodology. Meth meth methanodology. All right, there we go. 
too many ramble tangents at the beginning, I'm sure. But uh, I'm feeling kind of mellow tonight, so we can uh, we can chat about whatever you want. Um, have you guys seen? Uh, there's, there's sort of three pieces of art, so to speak, that I wanted to talk about. One is the Mia Farrow documentary, um, uh, Mia Farrow versus Woody Allen, about the sexual abuse allegations. The other is an Anthony Hopkins movie. I mean, I'll watch that guy cut his toenails. I mean, he's such a great actor. Uh, it's called The Father, also really interesting, a powerful piece of art. And the other is Hillbilly Elegy, uh, J.D. Vance's, uh, I guess he wrote a book, and it was adapted to a documentary. And uh, boy, he's he's an interestingly naive fellow. Uh, and, and I just, I actually feel kind of annoyed about this stuff. I feel that the art stuff is really obvious, but I have to keep explaining everyone's art, even to themselves. And uh, that may sound uh, kind of pompous. Join for a voice call in. But, yeah, uh, people, they just don't even seem to understand their own families. They don't seem to understand their own arts. They don't seem to understand much of anything. And <laughs> it's really, really annoying that people are just so blind towards this kind of stuff. All right. Steph is a good man. Real deal. Met him at 20, 21 convention last year. Uh, year before last. But yes, thank you very much. Unauthorized TV is cool. Good move. Hi from Germany, but Canadian. Ooh, oh wow. So, Ray's Fist is great. He speaks highly of you. Your audience have a lot of overlap. Uh, yeah, he changed my mind about Michael Jackson. What can I say? Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to dig into your work. I'm happy to have been able to again. Thank you for all you do, brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Australia is now keeping airports closed until 2024. Why should they have to worry about their tax livestock leaving if they can't? Rear, oh, rear, oh, rear. Steph, I donated some Bitcoin to you a while ago, but I still haven't gotten any feet pics. What am I paying you for? Well, you see, because I'm only 11 and a half inches, it's not actually going to be a full 12 inches, which is a foot. So, uh, Hillbilly Elegy was a great book. I uh, watched the video, not the book. Let's see here. Is the Chinese state model slash oppression inevitable when the population and diversity of an area grows that huge? Oh, no. I mean, watch my documentary on Hong Kong. Uh, you can get it at freedomain.com forward slash documentaries. Uh, I talk about the history of that. It's not inevitable. Uh, it's simply it's simply willpower. The establishments were fans of the hillbilly one. They certainly were. And so it's funny because with Netflix, you, you always wait for the anti-white stuff, right? You always like sand glass, hourglass, countdown to no kids, parenting is bad, there's going to be divorces, white men are the villains, like just anti-white stuff all the time. So I watched the beginning of this. I'm like, oh, it's not hugely anti-white. Uh, and then, of course, it, it all came along. And not anti-white in particular, but you just know it's going to be massive dysfunctional, right? Are you doing okay? You've taught me well about getting back on the horse. I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm doing very well. Ah, let's see here. Uh, what did I read but not address? I don't recall. I don't recall. Uh, I don't know how it is. I think you have to unmute yourself, but did the person with the, the six-year-old who's uh, uh, joining... Uh, did you have something that you wanted to say? Just unmute yourself and speak now. Otherwise, I'll keep going. Yeah. Somebody says, hey, Steph, my crypto portfolio balance is up $5,000 this week. But why am I still so depressed? I've learned that money does not mean happiness. Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, the Dollar Tree thing? I didn't understand it. Yeah, so money... Um, 
money can equal unhappiness. Money can equal unhappiness. So being short of money, being out of money, being broke can give you a sort of an immediacy, a, a, a fight or flight response, a, a focus on the now, attention, and it distracts you from yourself. For people who have sort of underlying unhappiness issues, success can be the greatest catastrophe, particularly financial success, because it takes away that stressor, right? Like it takes away that stressor of needing money. And I, didn't, I know 5K is a, it's a good amount of money, but it's probably not the difference between wealth and poverty for you. But if you have a goal and a hunger to achieve a particular material success, uh, when you achieve it, it can trigger enormous amounts of depression. And uh, that that's a, a big problem. This can also happen to women when they, in a sense, win the lottery by having kids, right? Postpartum depression, so. All right. But short people need money to match us tall folks. Yeah. Um, it's not a joke. I, I, I'm, I don't mean to be kind of school marmy on you, Bobby, but it's not a, it's not a joke. Like the short people, it's, it's, it's very, very horrible. Uh, I, I got, after I did the, uh, I just released the live stream from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I talked about Marilyn Manson and I opened up with a big diatribe about women and their prejudice against short guys. I mean, for tall guys, like, ha, 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 the short guys, short people got no reason to live. It's really painful. It's And, and you didn't do anything to earn your height. It's just, it's purely accident. It's just pure luck of the draw. And, um, yeah, just, uh, just don't do it. So I would say that you really, you, you can welcome depression that occurs when you make some money. And I think a lot of people in the Bitcoin space are going through this, like they've made some money and it's like, uh, now what? And of course, the other thing too is making money in the midst of the COVID fascist contraction of all things good, noble, human, and transitory is pretty rough because what do you spend your money on, right? I guess a lot of people wanted to spend uh, money on um, the travel and, and they can't really do it, right? Uh, let's see here. If my crypto-averse friends like to bring up the 2017 Bitcoin crash, any thoughts on why it happened? Um, well, I mean, it's, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, look at any new system around seven years after it starts, right? So look at where Microsoft was seven years after it started. The stock price was going up and down, right? Look at Apple, uh, look at uh, the internet, uh, look at cars seven years after they were invented. Look at, uh, you know, seven years after Orville and Wilbur Wright took the Kitty Hawk for its first flight, the first, the first uh, powered flight. Where, was, where were airplanes seven years after the start, right? I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what people are expecting. Do you expect... A, a, a truly revolutionary, paradigm-shifting, world-changing, state-shredding, central bank-eviscerating technology to be even Stevens seven years after it starts? My God, I mean, it's like expecting a seven-year-old uh, to be a, a um, concert pianist or, or a classical music conductor. Um, so for those of you who don't know the history, <clears throat> if you don't know the history, of, of Bitcoin, very briefly, the anonymous creator of Bitcoin, 
who, who solved the big problem of making sure that ledgers are synchronized across different nodes. Um, the white paper came out very shortly after the 2008 financial crash. And so my guess is that it was a man, let's be honest, 99.9% .9 likely to be a man. And he looked at the horrible, horrific, wretched, disastrous mess of the 0708 financial crash, which for those of you who were younger, I remember, I think it was in the early 80s, there was a recession in Canada. And I remember saying to my mother, I said, you know, I keep reading about this recession, I keep hearing about this recession, but I don't really get it. And she said something, I never forgot this, she said, well, that's because I still have my job. And that was a fair, a very fair point. You know, it's a recession when you have, when you still have your job. It's a depression, I guess, when it's not. And so, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, suited him, created Bitcoin, I would assume, out of a deep and abiding horror of what had happened in the central banking system and recognized that this is, he's, he's the John Galt, right? For those of you who don't know, he's basically John Galt. That is the fact, that is the reality, that is the situation. He's basically John Galt because he's created a mechanism. So if you haven't read Atlas Shrugged, um, just grab a copy. I'll, I'll wait till you're done. Okay, should be enough time. So if you haven't read Atlas Shrugged, then read Atlas Shrugged. You can listen to it. It's a pretty good reading of it uh, on audible.com. And in Atlas Shrugged, there's a particular invention that drives the plot of the story forward. And in this particular uh, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, he created a, a technological innovation that allows people to go on strike. Uh, the, the title of Atlas Shrugged was originally called The Strike. Uh, and this is nothing, you can read this on the back cover, it's not a big spoiler. Uh, Ayn Rand you know, everyone goes on strike. And she, she thought, well, what if the very smartest people in society go? What if the most creative and intelligent and brilliant and innovative and wealth-generating people decide to go on strike? And and that's really the, the issue of the, the entire book. And this allows you to go on strike. You can go on strike from your stockbroker. You can go on strike from your bank. You can go on strike from fiat currency. You can go on strike from uh, hyper-regulation. You can go on strike from central banking manipulation. You can go on strike from inflation. You can go on strike from interest rate manipulation. You can go on strike from bonds. You can go on strike from gold. You can go on strike. And so it's such a brilliant innovation. And it will go down. I mean, to me, in my mind, it already has gone down. To me, it's going to end up being the top invention in human history. I say this without a shred of hyperbole, without a shred of doubt, that uh, Bitcoin will go down as the top innovation, the most important innovation in human history, because it is going to shift the power of currency, which is the foundational power of society, from the rulers to the people. So, I would just ask them, okay, why, why did the 2017 Bitcoin crash happen? Does it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because let's say you explained why it happened. Do people want to guarantee that it will never happen again? Well, as things mature, as things adopt, you know, back in the day, my very first notebook was a 386.25 I got from a company called Mighty Max in Toronto, and it was $1,250, and it had a grand total of... 
2 megs of RAM, and a 60 meg hard drive that took only about two minutes to open up Word. And it was monochrome. And it had on it a 300 board modem. Now, getting online, I didn't do much stuff online back in the day. It was just too slow. But there were chat rooms and things like that. And uh, it was all very slow. It was all very unstable because communications technology was still in its infancy. And it took a long time. You know, you'd be online and, and somebody would pick up the phone and interrupt your download and you'd have to start all over again or, you know, people would disconnect. or I mean, it was just, it was a mess, right? Because it was new. Now it's less of a mess because it's not as new. So I guess I would just like, if people say, oh my gosh, you know, seven years, and I know it was a little bit earlier, but basically seven years into Bitcoin, uh, there was a, a crash uh, of, of value. Okay. And, and then it came back up. And now it's, it's stabilizing to a large degree, although it did break 80,000 Canadian last night. I'm like, Bitcoin, I'm trying to get to sleep. What are you doing? And so um, here's the problem. So the mature, st the more stable it gets, the less buying opportunity there is, right? The more stable it gets, the less buying. So when you, when I first started a software company, um, I had to run around and, and raise uh, $80,000. And it doesn't really matter how I did it. And it certainly wasn't me alone, but um, I had to raise $80,000. Now, the people who invested in my company made an absolute mind-bending profit on it because the company did did very well and and so on so just but but so they got a large amount of stock in the company or ownership in the company because i was in my 20s i was uh, i had never been trained in computer science and i was like yeah i'll be the chief coder i'll be the chief technical officer and it it ended up working out really well. I turned out to be a rather amazing coder, if I do say so myself. And one day I'll bore the tits off everyone by talking about all the cool stuff that I innovated. Like I wasn't just building software, I was building entire architectures. I was building um, code that reproduced an entire interface on the web from a Windows interface. And uh, anyway, it was really a, 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 an amazing uh, architecture and environment. Uh, I, I wrote code that modified itself. I wrote databases that modified themselves. I was just really, I, I love that meta stuff in coding, not just, you know, do this, but um, inception coding, where it calls itself and modifies itself is is just my, my thing. That's what I love the most. So, so they made a lot of money because there was a lot of risk. And so you, you, your friends are crypto averse, right? And say, oh my gosh, there was a 27 Bitcoin crash. Okay, well, crash, I mean, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that the asset went from 20,000 to, to 3,000. I mean, this is Canadian, right? Something like that, right? So I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. So let's say that there's a big dip. You can ask them, say, okay, there's a big dip in Apple stock, right? And Apple stock goes down 80%. Would you buy? Well, I, I assume you'd have some incentive to do so. So it's a buying opportunity. It's not a crash. I mean, so, but what they're saying is, oh, well, what if it happens again? Okay, well, if you're concerned about that, then you should wait until the market is more mature and then make less profit. But it's the people who are willing to take the risk who are going to reap the rewards, right? So if you had said in 2017, when it crashed down to $3,000 a Bitcoin, well, um, that that were pretty good, right? Because if you bought then, and a couple of years later, you've made twenty times your investment, right? I mean, even when it passed a little more than twenty times your investment, right? So you could have bought at three thousand, right? 
but it was new. There was a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and uh, and and there was Trump, right? So when there was Trump, uh, people had this idea, and you know, I liked the idea as well. I, I supported the idea that there was no way for America to pay off its debts given the current trajectory of government spending and income. But if there was a possibility of, of cutting regulations, of lowering taxes, of allowing the free market to operate in some productive manner, then what would happen is uh, the economy would stabilize, it would grow, and the American economy might conceivably find some way to grow itself out of its um, Weimar-style hyperinflationary catastrophe incipient thing, right? But when Trump came along, uh, people took their money out of speculative assets that were designed to uh, be a massive hedge against inflation. And so it was um, not great for Bitcoin when Trump was in power because people thought, oh, well, we'll just go to the regular economy route and all that, right? And this is why for me, when Biden got in, uh, it was like, okay, well, you know, here comes Bitcoin, right? So I started doing these investment roundtables because once Biden got in uh, and you have, uh, you know, all, all the troops are in the Middle East, but the actual invasion is on the southern border, right? So he was going to invite everyone in. Uh, politics was done uh, in America as as it had been, as it had been practiced for hundreds of years, politics was done because uh, he was importing all these people who were guaranteed to vote for the left. He was going to spend like crazy. And, and so it was like, okay, so now people are going to want it to go towards uh, Bitcoin, right? And that's why I started doing the investment roundtables. And of course, since I started them, Bitcoin has gone up, what, four times? Uh, and I'm not saying it's causal. I'm just saying it's, it's you know, it, it's in there, right? So I don't know. It's not a crash. It's a buying opportunity. I mean, if you found a Lamborghini on sale for $10,000, would you say, oh my God, the price of that Lamborghini has crashed. It's terrible. I, I can't ever buy that Lamborghini because, my God, what if the price goes down again? It's like, no, you, you've just got a fantastic <laughs> buying opportunity to get a Lambo for, for 10 grand. I mean, <laughs> so it's, it's just a completely different mindset. I don't, you know, the people who said, well, it went down before, maybe it'll go down again. Okay, well, then you shouldn't be in the space. I mean, you should not be in the space. I mean, if you if you don't like Bitcoin, um, you don't like frying bacon in the nude, you don't like uh, um, dating women with face tattoos, I don't know, that's a bad analogy, but um, to say, well, then it's not for you, right? I mean, it, it's, it's not for you. If you don't want to climb Mount Everest, then it's not for you. If you want to wait until something is safe, then you simply won't make much money on it. I mean, don't try and get them into Bitcoin if they don't want to, because Bitcoin is is there for people who know what the hell is actually going on in the world. And we finally have a technology that makes financial aristocracy out of people who know shit, right? You understand? And, and know actual real things in the world. Uh, the nature of the state, the nature of central banking, the nature of fiat currency, the history of all of this shit from, you know, pre-Roman Empire, Roman Empire, through the French Revolution, through uh, Spina Milan in England, through um, uh, Weimar Republic. Uh, people who know history are finally getting their props financially, and that's that's through Bitcoin. Now, people actually understand stuff. Like the Austrians should all be into Bitcoin, Austrian economists, uh, or people who understand Austrian economics should all be into this stuff. So finally, we have a technology that rewards knowledge, actual knowledge, with value. And so I, I you know, I, I, 
I'm not out there trying to convince normies to buy Bitcoin. Good Lord, no. No, 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 no. You get, you get the fiat currency UBI uh, if you want it, but that's not for it, right? Uh, let's see here. I was always the shortest kid in my class. It was horrible. It is. It is horrible. It is horrible. It is absolutely horrible. And if you're a tall guy, all the tall girls try to try to date you, right? Uh, let's see here. Hey, Steph. Yes. Hello, sir. Um, where is the right place to ask questions? Because um, I didn't really see anything about it. Here's, here's the funny thing, man. Here's the funny thing. I completely forgot the telegram <laughs> was running. So I'm like, are you my conscience? <laughs> no, go for, go for it, man. I'm, I'm happy to hear. Um, I just wanted to correct um, something about the... Uh, I think there was someone who said that um, Australian airports are closed till 2024. That's not true. Um, they're open. You can fly pretty much anywhere. The only problem is whether the places you fly into might charge you money for quarantine fees and things like that. And if you're coming back um, from a COVID place, you can uh, you might be put into a hotel uh, accommodation at your own cost. But the airports aren't actually closed. I mean, I just flew on Monday, so it's not like they're, they're closed. That that's it. I appreciate the correction, but do you have any other yearning burnings to talk about or? No, I, 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 I did actually, so there was just that. And then there was, um, one of the things I, I find quite interesting is that the um, privacy coins currently is something that people don't really talk about. And I think they're almost as big a disruption as Bitcoin. Because, I mean, if I'm you sorry. can... I'm sorry, I just, the first rule of privacy coins is you don't talk about privacy coins. Sorry, it's just kind of funny that you said, you know, there are all these privacy coins and people aren't talking. I thought that's the point, right? Stay private. You mean Monero well, and stuff like well, that? Yeah, Monero and and things like that. I mean, I mean, yeah, you can talk about it because the, there's no no one can tell who's transacting what and how much to who, which you know keeps you know your transactions out of prying eyes like the government who, um, you know, they can trace your transactions through the Bitcoin ledger. I'm not saying that you know in a free society that that should ever be a problem, but. We're not in a free society, unfortunately, and that's something that I think is um, pretty important to understand. And I mean, you've got a right to privacy, I think. And so, if you want to transact with whoever, um, I think these coins, you know, are really also part of the, you know, the really um, big future in terms of protecting ourselves from, you know, government powers, really. Oh, yeah. And there was actually a report on criminal activity uh, somewhat uh, with regards to Bitcoin, and they found like less than 1% of Bitcoin transactions have anything to do with criminality, which is far less than the banking system, like way less than the banking system. So, all right. And, you'll pro and, and you'd probably find the same with Monero and other currencies like that. I, I just think that, you know, if you know, if we're going to be propping up uh, a lot of these um, coins, I think, you know, looking at things where, where our privacy is guaranteed is probably also a very important thing. Right, right, right. You don't want the FBI knocking at your door for buying something that you shouldn't or transacting with someone that's forbidden, for example, you know, like someone's been cancelled or they've been found to be a Nazi and now they get you guilt by association kind of thing, which we know is happening quite a lot. So, oh, there was a, I think Cassandra Fairbanks has just been reporting that there was a woman who went to the Capitol, wandered around, and tried to stop people from breaking a window, and um, she ended up uh, being hit by a cop, I think, and then she says, hey, man, you're supposed to uphold the Constitution, this is not right, he hits her again, 
and uh, I'm not sure about the details, but uh, she could be facing a combined total of 55 years in prison. Meanwhile, of course, all of the leftists in, in Portland and other places are all getting off with uh, probation and no jail time and all that. It's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, they were talking about, I think GoFundMe at the moment is um, mostly uh, only being used by the socialists and the communists because anyone who tries to raise funds for anything else is basically getting shut down immediately and all the money um, sent back to the to the people who, who've donated, which, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, all these platforms are just deplatforming anyone who's not on in a hardcore leftist. A lot of the uh, funds for Antifa. A, a lot of the a lot of the corporations uh, are, are not any longer interested in long term economic sustainability. Like, not even close. Then they they're going all in on politics. They are going all in on voter suppression in Georgia and other places. And you know what is it in Mexico? You need like biometric ID to to cast a vote. And and so you know, like I mean. Then they shouldn't. They want nobody coming in from Mexico because Mexico has way more strict immigration policies. In the Mexican Constitution, you're not allowed to mess with the demographics, and it's got way more strict IDs, uh, voter IDs. And so, but the corporations are all like, "Well, how can we screw people out of Will Smith? It's just what moved a movie out of Georgia at, at significant cost because of these voter ID laws and so on." And uh, I mean, it's all crazy. I mean, everybody knows that the reason. I mean, and. Two to one, Americans want voter ID laws. Of course they do, right? I mean, because you need ID for just about everything else. And um, uh, voter ID laws, are, but it's, you know, it's it's tougher to steal an election <laughs> if there are voter ID laws. So obviously that's that's the deal, right? And, and so two to one, Americans want it. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how the elites manage to screw this over, given, you know, it's not really a left-right issue. Everybody wants voter ID laws, of course, because you don't want your vote as a taxpayer diluted by people or or fake ballots or whatever it is, right? So it's going to be and, really fascinating. And most, countries, and most countries around the world already have voter ID laws. So yeah, I think course. that it's been proven time and time again over hundreds of countries where you need to, I mean, even socialist countries need to be bloody registered to vote, you know? Yeah, of course. It's insane. Of course. It's completely insane. And Well, it's not insane if you want to, it's not insane if you want to take power. It's not insane if you don't want to bother uh, with a fair election. Sure. Then it makes perfect sense, right? But so, but the corporations, um, they're, they've given up on long, any, any pretense at the longevity of stock value because now by stepping into political situations and, you know, thin edge of the wedge was the tech companies, thin edge of the wedge was uh, the NFL and the NBA and so on. So once you've got people dipping into political content, uh, then they are no longer interested in long-term value sustainability. And it's a way of corporations just saying, well, we're not interested in profit because without a doubt, Coca-Cola and, and these all these other companies that are getting together to try and oppose these voter ID laws, they're saying, we know, we know that this is going to piss off at least half of our customers. In fact, it, it could piss off even three quarters of our customers, given that the majority of Americans want voter ID laws. So we don't give a shit. We don't care about what the customer wants. We don't care about what the um, employees want. We, don't, we, we are just going to use this corporate power as a giant club to pursue leftist political uh, instability. And so fiduciary responsibility is really important for a board member of a company. In other words, if you do something that knowingly no, if you knowingly do something that harms the value of your shares, you can be sued, you can lose your house over problems with fiduciary responsibility. 
And I mean, there are morality clauses. Uh, when I was on a board, I mean, they 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 put a hamster up my armpit to suck out my lymphoma juice to try and find out if I had any ill health indicators whatsoever because I needed to be insured up the yin yang in case I was on a plane that went down and they lost half their tech knowledge in the company. So, um, you have a lot of safeguards. You have a lot of fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders and so on. And these companies are basically all torching that relationship with the shareholders and their relationships with their customers and their employees. And they're saying, screw you customers, screw you shareholders, uh, screw you employees. We are going to do what you don't want. And we're going to use the corporate power to try and stop voter ID laws from getting in. And that simply means that they've completely given up on long-term corporate profitability because they're saying, we don't care about profits. We don't care about customers. We don't care about the quality of our product like that airline that's now saying we're going to hire based on race and gender rather than upon excellence so that everyone can crash and diversify themselves into various body parts strewn across a, a farmer's field. And I think it's I think it's fantastic. I think that they, I, I applaud them for it. I get behind them. I think that they should take more on. I think that they should destroy their entire corporate profitability. They should destroy their relationship with their customers and their employees with the hopes of making men and women the same height, uh, with the hopes of making all the bell curve go down to one IQ point, uh, 100.1 or whatever it is, right? That they should they should absolutely torch every shred of value with regards to their companies, and they should do it as much as humanly possible, as quickly as humanly possible, and take no prisoners and march forward with the full fervor of Mao's Red Guards uh, getting people out into the countryside, because it means that people on the right will no longer look upon business as their own friend, which it hasn't been for at least 50 years. I mean, just look at the immigration policies pushed by the Chamber of Commerce. And the second thing which you really want to thank these corporations for is that it means that anybody with half a fucking brain won't have anything to do with corporate stocks and will buy crypto instead. So I love these companies for doing it. I think it's let's just get this band-aid off and get it all done as quickly as humanly possible. All right. Doesn't doesn't this create a unique opportunity for like people to actually create businesses to compete against the woke, you know, ideology? Because, you know, if you've if you've got all these companies running off the cliff as hard as they can, it's just going to incentivize, you know, smaller businesses to come up and basically, you know, compete with them. Well, the yeah, street. except it's the if you think about them, it's, it's a free market situation, sure. But this is fascism we live under now, right? Because it's it's corporate government power. So because the corporations are pursuing policies the government can't directly achieve, right? The government can't directly tell. I don't think the federal government can't tell Georgia what voter ID laws to have, right? In the same way that the government can't ban people for legal speech, but they can get their corporate asshole suck toadies to do their work and deplatform people, right? So the government can't ban the speech that I make because it's legal speech, but they can get me deplatformed with the help of their corporate toady power-sucking assholes, right? So what they'll do is, as these companies become more and more inefficient because of their woke agenda, uh, they'll just start getting government subsidies and and they'll just prop them up that way because this way, the federal government or Biden administration, which can't get Georgia to not put in voter ID laws, can make it so painful for Georgia to do so through their corporate buddies that any other, either Georgia will back off or even if Georgia gets through, no other state is going to want to go through that mess. So uh, yeah, we are, we are full in left and right wing 
uh, fascism at the moment because the government can't overreach itself because of the constitution and, and the law and the court system and so on. But and it's the same thing happened in Canada when you have all these terrible media outlets that simply can't compete with people like me. I had uh, bigger reaches than most major, major Canadian uh, news outlets. And uh, so did they sit there and say, oh, well, that's great because, you know, people like me can start competing with these big Canadian blah, blah, blahs. It's like, well, no, they just they took money from the government and they kept attacking me until I got deplatformed and and now they're swimming in money and um, <laughs> things have changed. So I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it, it does create an opportunity and it'll probably pay off in the long run. But um, I would just stack your, <laughs> stack your sets rather than try and compete with Coca-Cola. All right. You did not get a 486DX66, man. Those things were beasts. I could only dream... Uh, my first, my first, my very first computer was a 286, and I think it had 12 hertz or something like that. So, uh, all right, sorry, let me just check. Uh, if you just bellow in my ear, if if you want to have a convo, um, uh, are you concerned of the possibility of governments being able to track individuals through the blockchain? Well, the technology is what it is. You can remain anonymous on the blockchain. Just don't tell anyone what your uh, wallet is and and you'll be fine right i mean as you know um uh, a lot of the viruses that encrypt your files and they'll offer you some sort of uh, a decryption key if you give them a bunch of bitcoin well it's all done through bitcoin right so you can stay uh, anonymous on on bitcoin uh, but i'm I, I don't i don't care that the government is currently able to track individuals through the blockchain i think that's great because it means that the uh, the government is going to attempt to absorb uh, Bitcoin, so that it can tax it and regulate it, and then Bitcoin will end up beating the government. It's beautiful. But all bubbles will pop. If that goes up, must come down. What is red hot must cool off. <laughs> I'm sorry. All bubbles will pop. I mean, that's that goes up, must must come down. I don't understand what that means. I, I mean, you know, a mount, mountains go up. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what that means. I mean, lots of things go up that don't don't come back down. Um, so, I mean, there's a, a spaceship still going out past the solar system now, right? It went past Jupiter and all that. So, I mean, th this is a deepity. It sounds intelligent. It sounds deep. It doesn't. The next thing I'm doing is wait for you to talk about tulip bubbles. Anyway, sorry, somebody was mentioning something in my ear. Go ahead. Can you uh, hear me? Yeah, we got an echo though, so. I'm sorry. Um, my question is real quick. Um, I was in a D-Live chat. I have a six-year-old. I've been doing the peaceful parenting thing. Uh, I actually have two daughters. First daughter, for the first half of her life, I didn't. Um, trying to manage the damage from that. But my second daughter, we did the peaceful parenting thing. Um, but she still throws tantrums, and uh, I'm not sure why. I don't hit. I don't yell. I don't hit her. I don't yell at her. Um, so if you want to ask any questions, maybe we can get to the root of it. I think it might be interesting for other peaceful parents out there that may have the same issue. I don't care if it's interesting to other peaceful parents because it's about your daughter. So I appreciate you calling and, and thank you so much for, for bringing this up. Um, can you just give me a brief history of, of your parenting? And you said you changed between uh, between your, your different kids. So what was the story? Um, so basically, am I still echoing or is it, no, it's fine. Is it bearable? Okay, cool. Um, long story short, because uh, I know people's time is important. No, no, no. Take um, take your time. Take your time. This is about okay. your kids, and this is about your family. Uh, I'm I'm here for that. This is my big issue these days. So to take your time. There's no no rush at all. Okay. Um, so to answer your question, my older daughter, she is 11, 
Um, she was approximately three or four years old. Um, you may not like it, but I am in the military. Um, so, but I do try to strive to be, you know, I do the Bitcoin and stuff like that. But the reason I mentioned that is because I got back from a deployment after a year and my youngest daughter, currently the oldest one, uh, she didn't really know me well. And I was a terrible, I wasn't a good parent and I dealt with my frustration by spanking. So, but then I discovered her show when she was approximately five years old and I stopped the, the hitting and I stopped the yelling and uh, went on from there. Um, and then I had my second daughter, knowing with the knowledge I have now, I didn't hit or yell at her, but she still will still lash out and throw tantrums. Um, and they're, they're pretty epic tantrums. They're not just like, she'll actually hit my wife. Um, she won't hit me. I can calm her down, but it's these meltdowns are really hard to deal with because they're super frustrating. And as a parent, you're just like, what do I do? Like, where did I go wrong? Right, right. Well, I mean, you, you have a puzzle or a problem to solve and self-attacks don't help. I mean, just wanted to point that out, right? So um, I, I sympathize with you. So what, what are the kind of things she has tantrums? Is there any sort of pattern about that? Um, I kind of look at it. It's when you deny her something. And I listen to most of your, your, your uh, episodes. And uh, I, I heard in one, one of your podcasts is like, some parents take pleasure in denying someone something or people take pleasure, but I don't take any pleasure in denying her, you know, that's pretty terrifying say, hey. now, right? It's pretty terrifying if she's going to have these meltdowns. Yeah. And I'll be like, she'll want, I mean, for example, like stay up later or want more candy, something that's detrimental to her health, or just for instance, just brush your teeth. Like I'll be like, it's time to brush your teeth. I will give her the leeway of not like observing her, give her kind of that freedom. And, I'll, and it'll be, she'll walk in there, brush your teeth for like two seconds, come out. I'm like, I know you didn't brush your teeth. <laughs> I'm going to watch you. And then she gets frustrated, you know, and it's just like, I, it's hard for me to in, impart on her. Like, like, why are you getting so mad? Or we'll just deny or something. And it's when it's the denial is when the, the tantrum comes out. Right. Right. So, and she's six at the moment. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so somebody was just a little confused. They said an 11-year-old hitting her parents is completely unacceptable. No, no, no. A six-year-old hitting her parents is completely unacceptable. Okay, so tell me a little bit about her early life, uh, birth, and and especially the first couple of years. Um, she actually was our easier one. The, um, the older one, she... Uh, was the temperamental one. She didn't sleep well. We're still, and the funny thing, I mean, if you ever want to call and show about this, this would be interesting too. Um, she has sleep issues and to this day, she had sleep issues, the older one. Uh, but the younger one, she was our good one. She slept well, she complied. And as she got older, the behavior got worse. Okay. Okay, so... I'm looking for a bit more of the mechanics. I'm sorry, I wasn't clear, but I was looking for a bit more of the mechanics. So uh, was she ever in daycare? Did she spend time with grandparents? Uh, what's her bond like with her mom? Uh, did she breastfeed? That kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, both both breastfed, of course. Um, younger one, never in daycare. Um, not really military. We don't really have that strong support with uh, grandparents, per se, because we're constantly moving. So it's mostly just me, my wife, and the older sibling 
Um, it's mostly, I mean, one thing I did notice, and maybe you can gain insight on it, is my wife tries to get to the peaceful parenting, but she does kind of yell at the younger one when she gets frustrated because she kind of grew up in a messed up home in her past, uh, dealing with an alcoholic mom, but she turned out very well. Um, see, I'm trying to think of anything where I can give you good information as to why she acts that way. Um, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's totally fine. Uh, her relationship with her mom, she was never in daycare because she's moving around a lot. She's not exposed much to grandparents, which is, you know, just it's not a good or bad thing. It's just a factor. Um, breastfed and um, her relationship with her mom, uh, does she enjoy her mom's company? Um, I think that's kind of the problem is that I don't think the my, my wife doesn't really like spending time with her. Does that make sense? Well, I don't know if it makes sense. I mean, I'm sure it does, but uh, it's just a piece of information. Uh, so is, is their relationship kind of tense? No, it's amicable. I mean, they get along and, you know, there's no hostility, but it's, it's soon as when there's denial, that's when the hostility comes out. Right. And is it, is it with, it's with you as well, uh, but I, it's also with your wife, right? It's mostly with my wife, honestly. Like, I mean, at one time, she threw a tantrum. Uh, you know, I had to physically restrain her, but not hit her. I had to get her off my wife, and I brought her into her room. I sat her on the bed, and I was like, I said, look at me in the eyes. What's going on? Can you calm down? And she started to calm down then. But it's just something that, something going on between my wife and my daughter. I don't get they, – they, it's like I, I sometimes – not in front of my daughter, but my wife and I will talk, and I'll be like – Sometimes the things you say are just inflammatory towards her, and she just flies off the like flies off the handle. So I mean, so what sort of things would your wife say to your daughter that you would consider inflammatory? Oh, I can't really think of anything on the spot. I just it's it's like day to day life where you're just something's going on, and you'll she'll say something, and then she'll just get angry. And my wife will resort to grounding because we we can't really think of anything else to because like the, the psychological thing is if uh, you know uh, the behavioral like ext extinction, like if you try to remove things that, you know, will cause tantrums, they'll hopefully will go away, but we can't figure out the figure out the source of these tantrums to, and we just can't have her running around screaming and hitting my wife. So we're kind of at an impasse. Like, what do we do? Can't yell at her, can't scream at her, can't hit her. But we're at impasse as to like what we should do. And by the way, I really do appreciate you talking. No, no, I, I appreciate. Some, listen, yeah. I appreciate you bringing this up. There's tough stuff to talk about, and I really, really yeah. do appreciate you you bringing this up. So when it comes to changing behavior, so there's three. I mean, I know there's four people. I'm sorry to pretend your eldest daughter doesn't exist, but let's just look at the three right now. Oh wait, no, actually, before we get to that, how did the sisters get along? Oh, they don't get along at all. Um, the age difference is. Uh too great i think um the the younger one looks up to the older one the older one wants, wants nothing to do with the younger one very seldomly it, in fact it's kind of strange when the older one wants to hang out with the younger one i'm suspicious of that i'm like what's going on it's, <laughs> that's not the norm right did they ever get along or was there ever any sort of you know because i mean it's a five-year age difference so they could be a little bit like it's almost like a mother-daughter thing with the, with the siblings. Was there ever a time when the elder liked the company of the younger? No, I, I can't recall. Um, 
since my youngest has been born, I've been blessed enough not to have been on deployments or anything like that. So for the younger one, I've been here her whole entire life. For the older one, I was gone for the initial formative years of her life. But their relationship is typical siblings, I guess, typical American siblings, sibling rivalry almost. Um, I they, don't see the rivalry with the age gap, though. I mean, you can't have an age gap big enough that they don't get along and then have some sort of rivalry too much, can you? I mean, the rivalry tends to increase as the kids get closer in age. Yeah, they just, they, they've ever, I, I'm a, well, I'm technically an only child. I had a sister later on in life. The age gap was huge as well. It was almost like 11 year age gap, but um, they just don't, they just don't get along well. I mean, they get along. They don't, they, they do fight with each other. Um, and I think that may be where the hitting and tantrums are coming from, but because I, my older daughter does hit and I think that's from her past where the might is right kind of thing was in play. And she Wait, sorry, your older, daughter still, your older daughter still hits? Sometimes, sometimes. Like when no one's looking, and I know for a fact that she did hit her younger sibling, and she'll deny it, and she'll lie. But I'm like, why are you lying? Because I'm not going to hit you back. I'm not going to yell at you. I just want to know what the root cause is. I try, to, I try to negotiate with everything. You know, I try to do that, like with the peaceful parenting thing, negotiation. Try to figure it out. Now, of the time that you spend trying to resolve these issues, let's talk about you, your wife, and your youngest daughter. Of the time that you spend trying to resolve these issues, what percentage is spent on you, what percentage is spent on your wife, and what percentage is spent on your youngest daughter? On resolving the hitting issues? Well, just these these tantrum issues. Oh, the, the, the tantrum thing, it, it can happen every day or it can happen once a week. It, it's just... Kind of random, I guess. I'm sorry. Just, uh, again, I wasn't clear with the yeah. question. So there's three of you. And yeah. so if you say, well, it's all me, I'm the one who has to change my behavior, then it would be 100% you and 0% your others. If you say, well, it's you know, it's half my daughter and half my wife, that would be 50-50 with you being at zero. So in your mind, when you're sort of trying to think about the issues, and the reason I'm asking this is earlier, you said that your daughter had a tantrum and then you went and talked to your daughter. That would be my first yeah. choice. If you want to figure out where the tantrum is coming from, the first place I would go is to talk to my wife. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So um, if, so I guess what, what percentage of time do you spend trying to talk to or figure out your daughter versus dealing with other people in the family? All right, okay. So I kind of I get what you're going at. Instead of I'm, I should be talking to my wife see what's going on, why the tantrum's happening versus... <laughs> Do not make me order you to answer this question, soldier, but no, I will sorry. if I have to. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. Right, um, okay, I'm, I'm, I can't I'm, handle I'm, the I'm truth. Really... All right. Um, no, so is it like, do you, if there's a tantrum, then you have to go and talk to someone, right? Do you, do you mostly go and yeah. talk to your daughter? Yes, I will, because I feel like I need to be the peacemaker between my wife and my youngest daughter. Okay, so... Um, so you identifying her as the problem much more than you are identifying your wife as the problem, right? Yes, because I attribute the behavior of the tantrum from her. Like, I no. Don't... Oh, no. I know you're not lying to me, but I also know you're not telling the truth. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at you. But when I say this, you'll find it funny, I think. I can okay, tell you okay, exactly listen. why you try and go to your daughter rather than to your wife. Okay. Because you're a little scared of your wife. And it's easier okay. it's easier to go and talk to your daughter than it is to try and talk to your wife and get her to change. I 
Am I wrong? It's if I'm wrong, a, tell me, and I'll I'll drop the the hypothesis. But that's my first. No, thought. no, no, no. I, you're you're partly right and wrong. Okay, so you're right in the fact that. Um, well, let me just explain my point, and you, yeah, you yeah. can bounce off your idea. My wife is on board with the peaceful parenting. She doesn't she doesn't hit, but she does yell, and she just gets frustrated being the housewife. She manages the finance. I mean, it's not. I'm just trying to make excuses for her. I know you're going to go with it, but <laughs> she does have she does have a big job. She manages all the finances. She does the, the parenting. Uh, while I'm gone, she does the the schooling. So. I, I get where she's coming from. She can get frustrated, but I think she's being wore down from it's like a cyclic, uh, like tantrum happens, gets frustrated, yells, no yells. more. No, tantrum no, no. Happens. Listen, I, I get all of that. And I, I want, I want to help you break the cycle. I really, really do. But I'll tell you this. You listen to this show. I'm going to give you IQ 120 plus. If that's my starting point with everyone on this show, right? You're a yeah. smart man. I have no doubt about that. Right? So, your daughter's been having tantrums for five or six years, right? And you keep well, trying. You, well, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it, it started, I want to say, like between ages of zero and three and a half. It was not really. It's when she really came into her own being is when the tantrums started. Okay. So a couple, a couple yeah. of years, right? Two, two three years. Yeah. Okay. So. If you have something where you go to your daughter and you say, you know, what's bothering you and, and how can I help and, and, and so on, right? If you've been doing that and it hasn't solved the problem, but you keep doing it, that's because the alternative is something you don't want to try and yeah. work with. And the alternative, of course, well, it's going to your eldest daughter to some degree, but but first and foremost, going to your wife. If she's home with them for the most, if she raised them from from beginning uh, and and she's, she's homeschooling them, is that right? Uh, well, uh, not to delve too much about finances, finances, but one's being homeschooled, one is not due to finances. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. And the one being homeschooled, is that the youngest or the eldest? The eldest, because uh, economically speaking, it's more productive, I guess, okay. right now. Okay. So you have been talking to your youngest. It hasn't worked. You keep talking to your youngest and now you're talking to me, which again, I appreciate and hope I can help. But I would assume that's because here's the thing. Like, can we can we just just do to dude here? Um, when a woman feels, I mean, women get a word that men don't get, right? And and that word is overwhelmed, right? I don't think as a soldier you don't get to say, "Sorry, Sarge, I, I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed at the moment," yeah. <laughs> right? You don't. You don't get. I don't get that option. I don't get the option to say I'm. I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm feeling in life. You know, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, right? And uh, women get this overwhelmed thing, and the overwhelmed thing is kind of like. Uh, have you ever spent much time around cats? I had a cat, and I hated it. But anyways, <laughs> right. So cats, when they feel threatened, they like arch their back. <laughs> Right, they get that that hissing going. They try to make themselves look bigger. It's kind of an aggressive thing that says, uh, "Don't don't come any closer. Don't do don't do whatever you're doing." Dogs do the same thing with the growling and stuff like that, right? And tech companies do the same thing with, "We're updating your terms of service. Good luck." Right? So, yeah, right. women have this thing where they say, "I feel overwhelmed," and that actually is when they, they claim that they feel out of control, but that's not what's actually happening. Generally, what's happening when women say that they feel overwhelmed is they want to control other people's behavior. 
In other words, don't come to me with another problem. I'm overwhelmed. You know, they rub their forehead. They're, they're, they're close to tears. They just feel so overwhelmed. And uh, I, I don't buy it for a moment. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I don't buy it for a moment because uh, wi- I, women are very tough. You know, anyone who can basically squeeze a watermelon out of their ass is, is as tough as nails. And I, I <laughs> women are, are very, very tough. And so for me, the woman's pretense of weakness, the woman's pretense of being overwhelmed, it's just like a display which says, I don't want to talk about a particular topic and I'm going to rely upon your masculine sense to protect me so that we don't have to talk about this topic. That's just the way it goes. So I would imagine, because the first thing I said, well, why don't you talk to your wife, basically was, well, she's overwhelmed, right? She's 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 stressed. She's got a lot on her plate. She runs a fine, you know. I got to tell you, of the two of you, you know, you're, you're the guy with a gun who at some point in his career has been shot at, or might have been, right? Or you're in the army, so, you know, you've got a lot of stuff to deal with. Raising kids and running the finances, I mean, man, the modern world is about as easy for housewives as humanly possible. Uh, uh, to be honest, like, yeah. just let's, you know, it's not that easy for military guys because, you know, there's still bullets and stuff. But, you know, you've got vacuum cleaners, you've got uh, r- rumbus, you've got... Uh, air conditioning, you've got um, washers and dryers, you've got dishwashers. I mean, it's become, you know, I I used to go, when I was a teenager, um, a friend of mine used to invite me up to his cottage on a pretty regular basis. And it was half play, half work. We did a lot of work out there. I remember one of the grim tasks we had one weekend was moving an outhouse. Boy, you know, when people say, is it tough being a podcaster? It's like, not compared to that. It's not because that was... All right. I think we're back. Sorry about that. Uh, it's all a great mystery, but uh, it's not nothing to do with D-Life, nothing to do with anything like that. But uh, I'm sure it was something at this end. You know, the one thing that drives me kind of crazy is when everything's, like, you need something done and everything is just crazy slow on your computer. It's like, oh, I just need to check this. It's like, I'm let you check it, but I'm going to slowly, like an old grandmother, come up the staircase that way. So, uh, all right. Well, thanks, thanks for your patience. Uh, let me just make sure we are doing our thing back up here. Oh, good. That's still going. All right. Uh, uh, Sorry again about that. Are you still with me? I'm right here. And I was kind of thinking while you were uh, fixing your technical difficulties, uh, I wanted to add that I'm not afraid of talking to my wife and uh, she is receptive to the peaceful parenting. It's not like she, she doesn't want to yell at the kids. Well, but why do you have higher standards for your daughter than you do for your wife? Or, to put it another way, why does your wife have higher standards for her daughter than she does for herself? Uh, That's a good question. Um, Are you asking me? (laughs) Sorry. Well, yeah, because you're you're saying to your daughter, it's unacceptable for you to lose your temper. But your wife loses her temper, right? So why is it not acceptable for your daughter who's six, but it is acceptable for your wife who's decades older? I understand that. Um, But I would counter by asking when a six-year-old is tugging at you and you can't get away from them and they are hitting you and pulling at your clothes, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean... Can you toilet train a toddler if you pee on the floor? No. I mean, the way that children observe language or anything really is that they observe the world around them. And if you're... Look, I'm going to go out on a limb here, 
and and listen, it's your family. You are the expert. I'm just a guy coming up with theories. So please, please, you know, if there's anything, you know this, right? If there's anything in your experience that contradicts what I'm saying, tell me. Tell me right off, right? Because I'm just trying to feel my way through here. So I'm going to guess that your youngest daughter looks up to you quite a bit. She does. She does, right? I mean, you're the soldier, you're the man, you're the hero, you're the dad, particularly at this age, particularly at this age. And I mean, you know, as dads, particularly with daughters, the worship factor is pretty substantial. It's pretty substantial, right? I mean, I, I had my daughter on a peaceful parenting show a while back ago, and her face drifted into the camera once, and I sort of edited it out. And I could just see the way she was looking at me. I mean, there is that level of just adoration between daughters. And and listen, I mean, if I had a son, maybe the same way. I'm just talking about my experience as a dad, right? So my guess is that your daughter looks up to you enormously, right? Yeah, she, I, I believe she does. I mean, she always wants to hang out, we play. I mean, what else can I measure it by? Yeah, yeah, no, so she, so she enjoys her company. So now you know what nature is trying to do with your daughter. So nature, this is the way that nature works, right? So nature has the daughters bond with the fathers. And in our sort of tribal evolutionary origins, she would want to marry a man like you. Now, this sounds kind of Freudian. I don't mean it that. It's just like she want to have sex with you, obviously, right? But, but she's going to want to marry a man somewhat like you because she loves you and you are also the example of a guy who's been successful in the area of getting married, of, of having kids, of being a dad. So she's going to want someone like you. Now, do you know the way that she plans to get someone like you? Uh, not on top of my head. Well, who got you? Who won? Yeah, my wife. That's right. That's right. So the more she loves you, the more she's going to want to imitate your wife. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what I should do is just talk to my wife and figure out why she's getting frustrated and go from there. Well, that's... Um... <laughs> I'm afraid it's going to have to be a bit more masculine than that, my friend. So with with regards to your wife, it's really, really good to ask questions and to try and figure out the source of things. And all these things are great and good and wonderful to try and achieve. But they come after one other thing. Now, the other thing that they come after is you cannot do this anymore. Now, once you can't do it anymore, then we can figure out the whys and the wherefores and the depth and the complexity. All of these kinds of things are wonderful to try and figure out. The first thing you have to say is, we have an emergency in the family because you married a woman who has a little bit of a temper. Is that fair to say? Uh, when she gets frustrated, um, I mean, I wouldn't say temper. I know I'm being kind of loosey-goosey. I'm sorry, your, your mic keeps cutting out. I don't know if you just want to just leave your mic on or it just kind of stops and then starts. I just want to make sure I get the whole sentence. But sorry, go ahead. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll not mute, unmute. Sorry. Yeah. Um, 
I'm sorry for being loosey goosey. Um, she she doesn't have a temper, um, but she does. It, it, it's okay. So let's a hypothetical fight. She tells my daughter, you "Can't do this because of this reason." Daughter gets angry, and she just starts escalating. And then my like my wife does start getting frustrated. And then my younger daughter will start like like grasping. And my wife's like, "I need my space," and she'll just cling harder and harder. So she, it's not like she instigates. It's not like, uh, oh, you made a mess. I'm going to yell at you kind of thing. No, I, I get that. I get that. But if your daughter can't see your wife control her own temper, how on earth can you expect your daughter to control her own temper? Because then you're expecting a child to do what an adult is not doing. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like if you had to lift some... I don't know, you're a soldier, you could probably lift ridiculous amounts of weight. But let's say, you know, you had to try and lift a truck up to change a tire, and you're like, oh, I can't lift this. But hey, you're six, why don't you do it? I mean, your, your kid would look at you like it was a bad joke, right? You can never ask, you can never, ever, ever rationally ask children to do what adults can't do. And so if you want your daughter to control her temper, then your wife has to model controlling her temper. And if your wife can't model controlling her temper, then it seems to me I can't imagine how your daughter could end up controlling her temper. Yeah. I just, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I just, when I observe these things, it's, I guess maybe I have blinders on. I, I don't see my wife getting angry. It like, typical i don't see it like the yelling or the screaming it's just more frustration and then she needs like go ahead well i'm afraid i'm gonna have to quote you back what you said earlier and I, it's not a gotcha it's just you you told me that your wife yells at your daughter i guess it's splitting hairs not like i guess i differentiate between yelling and screaming like yelling would be more like sternness it's not like she's screeching at my youngest daughter but she's like telling her to get away from her because she's clinging on to her does that make sense that sounds a pretty specific rejection isn't it yeah it, it is rejection it's it's the younger daughter is glomming on to a frustrated parent and she will not let go i'm trying to understand this Physica the physicality of it. I'm trying to sort of figure that one out. So your your wife and your daughter get into a conflict, and your daughter like comes and holds your wife, or or I'm not sure what to mean by that. Yeah, like um, like my wife will say, "Come deal with your daughter," and I'll be like, "Okay, I'll deal with her." And but my daughter will be just clinging onto my wife because it's like she just wants the mom's attention. She doesn't want my attention. She just wants purely mom. You know. And my my wife will be like, no, you're you're frustrating me. And the my youngest daughter is just like clawing at her and like gripping her. And I have to like physically separate them and pick up my daughter and move her away. And all the while she's not thrashing, but she still wants mama. And why wouldn't your 
I mean, my sort of instinct would be sort of open your heart and and put whatever you're doing aside because the relationship is so important and, you know, just really pay attention. But so your daughter wants to stay close to her mother or get her mother's attention, but your mother has you take your daughter out of the environment, right? Yeah, essentially, because the, the mother is so frustrated at this point that she doesn't want to deal with the little one. My God, I got to tell you, man, that the number of times you use the word frustrated as an out-and-out excuse is beginning to bother me. And that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. I just want to be perfectly frank. Every single time we come close to any kind of correction or behavior on the part of your wife, and we all need corrections of our behavior, you pull out the (laughs) F-bomb. And not the usual soldier F-bomb, but the frustration. Well, she's frustrated. Well, when my wife gets frustrated, well, she does get frustrated. Well, she is frustrated. I don't give a shit if she's frustrated. Like, how is that an excuse for anything? I mean, do you, if, if, your daughter, if your daughter goes in to some store and comes out with a toy in her pocket, right? Because she, she said, oh, I want this toy. And you said no. And then she, she comes out of the store with that toy. She stole it, right? And she says, well, I was frustrated that you weren't going to give me the toy. If, if you put away food and say that's enough for tonight, and then you find her in the middle of the night in the pantry with a face into the cookie jar, and she says, well, I was frustrated that I wasn't getting the cookies. I mean, is that, is that an excuse for your frustration? Is it an excuse for your daughter? But it's not, right? It wouldn't be. So, so you never once said, well, my daughter's frustrated, and my daughter... But every single time, it's anything that's close to a criticism of you. Hey, man, she's frustrated. It's like, I don't care. Why, why on earth would that mean, matter? Any, you try that in a court of law. Well, you know, I obviously had to strangle the guy because he was playing trumpet at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was frustrated. Nobody well, cares about it. frustration. I don't mean okay. it as an I don't try. If, I, if it comes off excuse, and it's, it's unconscious. Oh, no, it's an excuse. Come on, man. Come on. I know you're I, look, I know you're nervous of her. I know that you'd rather call her frustrated so that you don't have to say this behavior is completely and totally unacceptable. She cannot be escalating with your daughter. And if your daughter wants something like contact with mom, attention from mom or whatever, having you come in and pull her away, come on. I mean, you know that's not the right thing to be doing. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I know it's rather not the right thing. Okay, so so when I'm sort of pointing out things and you just keep saying, hey, but she's frustrated, like she's some landmine called frustration. I can't go near that. I can't deal with it. Like, no, that's, that's not an excuse. Because if your wife, see, this is it, right? This is the, the whole core of the issue. If your wife gets to do what, what she wants and not the right thing because she's, quote, frustrated, I bet you the tantrums are all related to frustration too, right? You said it's when my daughter doesn't get what she wants and she gets frustrated, right? Yeah. So you give this massive carte blanche a write what you want, get out of jail free card to your wife called, hey, if you're frustrated, you can do whatever the hell you want. And then you wonder why your daughter's still having tantrums? Well, that's why I called you for the insight. (laughs) So what happens if you, you, let's do a role play here. You can pretend to be your wife, right? You're secure in your masculinity. You're a soldier guy. You can pretend to be your wife, right? So if I were you and I sat down with you as your wife and I said, listen, honey, uh, we've been going about this all wrong. And it's really, it's my fault as the kind of outside guy, but I haven't been taking the leadership role in this part of the family. But uh, I know you're down with the peaceful parenting. And I've been giving you this excuse called frustration. 
because I'm nervous to have this conversation. My heart's kind of pounding even now as I'm just sort of thinking about having this conversation or actually having this conversation. But we got to not have an excuse called frustration. You say, well, I'm frustrated, therefore I yell, or I'm frustrated, therefore you've got to take our daughter away from me. And even you say, you've got to take your daughter, like she's not even your, like to me, as, as the husband, not even like she's your daughter anymore as the mom. But I just, this got to stop. It's got to stop completely. Like we've been trying for years to get our daughter to stop at the tantrums. And yet, you, I think, behave badly, and I'm responsible for it too because I'm in the room, right? But I think you behave badly because you claim to be frustrated, or maybe you are frustrated. But the frustration thing is like permission for you because you're frustrated you could act in this kind of way. And I think that if we want to model being able to handle frustration, then we've got to have high standards for you dealing with your own frustration and not escalate and not get mad and not push your daughter away and, and all of that. But I think, and again, I'm sorry because I should have brought this up years ago, but I just, I guess I never really made the connection until now. But honey, um, absolutely has to stop. We, we, we can't use frustration as an excuse anymore. Uh, and every time, and I found, like I was in this conversation with this crazy guy online, I kept saying, oh, my wife gets frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And he pointed out, and I kind of got it, like, oh my gosh. I do. I sort of say, well, my wife is frustrated, so I'm not going to, I'm going to go talk to my daughter. And, you know, like we all got to navigate around your frustration. And that's not right. Because if your frustration allows you to do what you want, then how would that be any different for our, for our daughter? So I guess we got to, I don't want to say I got to put my foot down because that sounds kind of ridiculous, right? But I need to sort of say, listen, we got to have a standard where frustration is not an excuse anymore. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um... I can role play. Uh, she, I would agree. Uh, she's, she would agree. I mean, she would listen. She's not going to take offense. I mean, cause she, she doesn't want to hit or yell at the kids either. She even tell when we talk, she's like, I don't want to yell at them. I don't want to hit them, you know? So I, I, she'd be totally open to that, honestly. So I think I know where to go from here. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I, I would, uh, I would, um, I would be prepared for a little pushback here <laughs> on the part of your wife. And and I could be wrong. And and but I, I would say that uh yeah, there's there's a reason why you haven't uh, been bringing this up with her. There's a reason why you've been navigating. Maybe it has to do maybe your mom was like had a short temper or was kind of easily frustrated or something like that, but uh yeah, I mean this is a general message to guys as a whole like do not let this overwhelm thing run your life. It's a really bad idea. And it's very disrespectful to your wife because you're treating her like a child, right? Uh, she can handle being overwhelmed. She can handle being frustrated. She doesn't have to act out. She can say, I feel really frustrated without escalating, without yelling, without demanding other people conform. Because when she says, get my child away from me, or get your child away from me, she's asking everyone else to change their behavior based on her being frustrated. In other words, frustration gives her power Right. I'm frustrated. Come and take your daughter and get her away from me. Or however she puts it. So her frustration gives her great power to order people around. It works for her. And that's why it works for your daughter, too, in terms of getting what she wants. So I just, uh, this is probably kind of embedded. And she may say it, right? But then even if she says, uh, yeah, okay, I will never do this again, or frustration should never be an excuse for me or whatever. Because the next question is, well, how on earth did we get to this point, right? Because at some point, you know, you're going to have to sit down with your daughter and, and sooner rather than later, right? But at some point, 
You have to sit down with your daughter and say, you know what, we've been kind of asking you to manage your own frustration, but at the same time, mom has been using frustration as an excuse to get her away. So we kind of were talking at cross purposes here, or we were we were parenting, saying one thing, but doing kind of the opposite, and that was really kind of unfair to you. So that's you know that that's a, that this this is a big deep complex issue. Even if your wife agrees, it's going to be tough to unravel. I mean, well worth it, I think, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely will have a conversation with her soon. Um, and you know, I I, I kind of understood that on an unconscious level in a way, because you know, as ki- kids do model uh, parents, and yeah. I had a temper as a kid, but that was a whole nother thing. Okay, let me let me ask you this. Um, a lot of times as well, temper tantrums come out of a feeling of humiliation. Now, when I was a kid, I saw my mother deal with me very harshly, but never people outside the family. That was very humiliating to me. It made me very angry. When I was in my teenagers, I would have my full-throated roars at my mother because I was just, I was kind of disgusted at the fact that she was so nice to everyone outside the family and then so cruel to, to me, right? So I guess my question is, does your daughter, your youngest daughter, or maybe your eldest too, do they ever see your wife, like let's say you're at a restaurant, right? And the waiter gets something wrong, or maybe the food isn't that hot, or, you know, the, the, the kind of sequences that happen sometimes. I mean, it happened tonight with the show, right? Just things that go weird, right? So has your daughter, does your daughter see your wife dealing with other people outside the family with the same level of aggression and yelling? Does she yell at waiters? Does she yell at policemen? Does she yell at teachers? Does she get frustrated and overwhelmed uh, at a at a restaurant and demand is is she Karen people? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna guess no, right? But okay, so so if your daughter doesn't see your wife behaving with outsiders in the way that your wife behaves with her, that's not good because it means that your daughter is going to feel humiliated because everyone else gets mom's good behavior except her. Like I'll give you an example, right? So. If if you, as a parent, you have epilepsy, right, then you want to tell your kid that, right, because you don't know when you might have an attack, and, and, and but the attack will be kind of random. The attack might be at home, it might be on the bus, it might be at a mall, it could be anywhere, right? But if you only have, quote, epilepsy in the presence of your child, but nowhere else, your child at some point is going to be like, well, wait a minute, can you control this or not? And that's the fundamental question that children have about their parents is, okay, can you control this behavior or not? And again, back to my mom. And again, please, I'm not trying to put your wife in the same category as my mom. So, you know, I hope that doesn't come across that way. I don't mean that at all. I'm just giving you a very extreme outside the universe from your wife example, right? But here's the thing. If your wife can control her frustration, her raising her voice, her demanding other people conform to her, being overwhelmed or whatever, if your wife can control that in public, if she can control that with teachers, in if your wife can always be nice to a teacher, always be nice to a waiter, always be nice to a cop, always be nice to a clerk in a store or whatever, then your daughter will not believe the I'm overwhelmed thing any more than 
you know, if, if you claim to have some terrible headache, oh, I can't come and play with you because I have some terrible headache, right? And then there's a ding-dong at the front door and something you wanted from Amazon has shown up and you just tear into it and it's like, hey, man, what happened to your headache, <laughs> right? It, 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 children are always looking for double standards or falsities with regards to their parents. And if your wife is generally and genuinely nice and not escalating and not raising her voice and not, quote, overwhelmed with everyone else, but with your daughter, it's different than she, 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 she doesn't believe the overwhelmed thing. Because there's lots of things in life that make us feel overwhelmed, but if we only ever inflict that standard or lack of standard really on one person, that person feels singled out and they don't believe that you're overwhelmed. Because it would be to say, nobody else causes me to feel stressed except you, my dear. Nobody else makes me feel overwhelmed except you, my dear. That's really angering to the kid. Because if the kid feels that this overwhelmed thing is kind of an act, and again, if it only shows up, at home and never outside of the home, it is kind of an act. And I don't mean like your wife is like lying to you. It's just it's a strategy she developed and, and needs to be sort of called out and, and uh, eased out of, of her repertoire of whatever, right? So I would say that um, it's really, really important uh, to, uh, uh, to make sure that uh, your wife's behavior is consistent and you don't want her to be consistently yelling at people of course and so um you got you if you can do it with people other than your kids in other words keep your temper not yell you better be able to do it with your kids because they're obviously much more important if that makes sense yeah that's uh yeah i mean not to the extreme of your mom but uh i mean i don't think i really observed my wife angry in public or frustrated in public so I really can't speak on that. I'm so she can't. Instances. So she can control her behavior, right? I mean, yeah, she can control herself. Okay, so then that has to be a standard that is applied at home, because I mean, your your kids are more important than some clerk or or some teacher or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, and I I, I think she'll listen. I'm pretty sure she will. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just something so obvious that I think she'll understand and that came out wrong. But yeah, I mean, it, it's like, hey, you, you don't, don't be frustrated and hopefully the tantrums will go down. <laughs> or I wouldn't say that. Like, have, the, you know, have the same have the same standards with your kids that you have with everyone else. Have the same standards yeah. with your kids that you have with everyone else because your kids see you out there in the world being reasonable, not raising your voice, not yelling. Like, I mean, it's literally from your daughter's your daughter has seen your wife try and negotiate with someone who's being annoying or trying to get someone to do something who's being annoying. And not once, let's say she's trying to get her license renewed at the DMV and the person's being really slow and difficult. At not, no point has your daughter ever seen your wife say to you, honey, come over here and pick this person up and take them away from me because I'm feeling really frustrated and overwhelmed at the moment. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Right, yeah, so your daughter is like, wait, wait, wait. She's totally my my mom is totally able to keep her temper everywhere on this planet except with me, and that makes her feel pretty mad. Because why? Why do I have the lowest yeah. standard of behavior from mom? Right? Why does everyone else get uh, gets mom's perfect angel side, and I get all of this other stuff? That's not that's not right. It's very humiliating. Like, why would you? Tr it's a, it's a great mystery, and I I remember thinking about this as a kid a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Which is why the hell would you treat? people outside your family better than you treat people inside your family. I mean, it's a really, I've, I've never fully 
understood this. I've never fully processed this and as to what might the, uh, what might be going on or what might be happening. Why, why, why? You know, I've said this before, like my mom would be screaming, talk, you know, full blue murder at me, and then some phone would ring, and it would be some guy she, she was dating or whatever, and she'd be like, hi, hi, and she'd be perfectly nice. Or there'd be a knock at the door, right? And and maybe some neighbor was like, you know, hey, you're making a lot of noise, or, or you know, it was something, or some mailman or whatever, right? And she'd be like, hi, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, maybe. oh, my God, like, these, these people, you never – you're never going to see these people again or, or you don't care about these. Like, wh- why are you yelling at me? You're flesh and blood that came out of your body. You breastfed me. You, you did circumcise me. Thank heavens. You raised me. Like, why on earth are you treating me badly? And these other people who were just blowing through your life like a bunch of dandelions through a park, why are you treating them so well and me so badly? It just made no sense to me at all. It, 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 like, I mean, there's that old saying, don't shit where you eat, right? Uh, and it's like, why Why do strangers you'll never see again get the good behavior and the people who you're totally bound up with in your life get the bad behavior? Like, it's so baffling to me. <laughs> I mean, you understand? It's, it's so irrational. And, you know, maybe your daughter's feeling some of this, which is like, why is mom, why does mom never lose her temper with anyone except me? Maybe it's a vanity thing. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's losing face in public versus... The, like you talked about before, kids are trapped in the relationship versus people in public have the will to walk away if you're a dirtbag. So maybe people feel they have more leeway to be a-holes in family situations versus the public because people are trapped in the family versus public people. Yeah, it's it's like a power thing. Like a, a, But here's the thing, though. I mean, you have power over a waiter, right? And and you can you can even get a waiter fired. You can have power over people, but it's always been baffling to me. And this is why you know people used to say to me, uh, "Oh, you know, you should really go see your mom." And like my mom just turned like eighty two a couple of days ago, right? I said, "Oh, you should go and see your mom." And this and that's like, no, no, no. She's she's got all these guys. She gave she was wonderful to. She could just call them up, right? All these guys who would phone her up and she'd be like, "Hi," you know, all shiny and and she'd drop her temper like it was no thing. She wouldn't call up and say, "I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm really angry. I'll call you later." Like it just flicked like a switch. And then, "Hi," you know, just and perfectly nice and sweet and it's like, <laughs> Like, okay. So she saved all her best behavior for strangers, so now she can call those strangers and say, "It's my birthday. Would you like to come over?" right? And Yeah, that's it's but that's the consequences of these and again please i i'm talking about my mom to illustrate a point and yeah. and i just want to really yeah. reiterate i'm not putting your wife into the same category no, but no, I've, I, understand, I understand i've i've always said to myself i've always said to myself that i mean look uh, so every now and then like i'll be having dinner and i won't feel particularly energetic in my chats right and then maybe i have a show later that night and suddenly i'm like all animated i got things to talk about and blah 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 and i i, I do think about that and i think like well that's not right I, that's that's not like why would i save my best conversation energy for quote strangers right because they're just friends we haven't met yet right and and then yeah. be be less animated with my own family and that's not right so uh, I've been sort of make conscious efforts, say, like, I'm not going to, you know, because my daughter can, I don't know, hear me in the basement if I'm having really, and she's like, well, he was kind of a dirt at dinner, but now he's all kinds of energetic in his conversation, and they're just strangers. And that's like a really, really important thing, just in your families as a whole. And this is why these conversations are so important. Like, in your families as a whole, 
treat them the best. If you've got a, a good behavior in you, don't squander it on waiters and and teachers. I obviously save some for policemen because you know it's a bit bit of a power yeah, relationship yeah, there. Well, yeah, yeah. But you say, you save the best stuff for the family, and and if you have to pretend, like here's the other thing too. If you, uh, this is something your daughter probably knows and knows quite well. Uh, because you have other kids over to the house, right? This is the other thing that's important too. Is you have other oh, kids. Oh yeah. That... Our, Go ahead. Our house is like the our house is like the hangout. It's all the kids in the neighborhood come to our house, and it's you know you talked about in your previous podcast, like with your daughter, you kind of try to vet who the parents are and stuff like that. And to our best of our ability, we we do the same thing. But there is literally like, was that Lord of the Flies? Like just. Like any given time, we might have like eight or nine kids in our place, and it's just chaos. No, and that's I think I think there's a lot to be said about that. There's a lot to be said about that. And uh, back when we could uh, actually travel, I remember being um, uh, out and and uh, at a park, and um, there were just a bunch of kids, like a bunch of parents sitting on on chairs, and a bunch of kids just kind of sitting about, not doing much. And one of them had a beach volleyball. And I would do this kind of stuff quite a bit, right? And I would just go up and say, uh, I would talk to the parents and say, listen, do you mind? I'm here with my, my wife and my daughter, and we like volleyball. Uh, do you mind if we, you know, the kid, the court's right there. I don't want to yank your kids like some stranger comes and says, hey, I'm taking your kids to volleyball. But do you mind if we go and play some volleyball with your kids? And they'll usually, I think, they always have said, well, yeah, like kind of surprised. And I'd say to the kids, all right. Who would like to play some volleyball? I know some great rules. Even if you've never played before, it's going to be a lot of fun, right? And every single kid, every single time, they get up and they'll come come and do this stuff, right? And you'll play a game. Like if the kids don't know, instead of hitting the ball back, you just catch it and throw it back, right? And it can be a lot of fun. And you get some trash talking going. You learn the kids' names. And we've played for hours like that with with kids. And it's funny because... You know, we'll play and, and you know, eventually drop the kids back with their parents. And, and the parents are like, oh, thank you so much, you know. And I'm like, don't thank me. Your kids are great. It was, it was a lot of fun to play with them. It's not like, oh, thank you, right? Uh, you know, you, some woman asks you out. You, and she, you ask some woman out and she says, yes. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, no, no. It's like you. And, and I just I just remember sort of thinking like, well, why why aren't you? you got kids there. you got a volleyball. I mean, why are you just sitting there and not? You know, playing with your kids, it's kind of so. It's really good that you have. I think it's you have a lot of kids over. But I'll tell you something else. Your daughter has seen is your daughter has seen other children be annoying and your wife not get upset, or at least not visibly, if that makes sense. Uh, well, we we do have ground rules. I don't. I, I see where you're going with that, but we will. I don't want to use the f bomb again. But if uh, we do, if if kids start doing things that are like not good like eating the food or doing inappropriate behavior we will get frustrated not frustrated but like say hey you need to stop that no i get that i'm not saying you never get i'm not saying you don't have standards i mean of course you you want to be honest with children don't lie to them at any time right but um but what i'm saying is that she has seen less escalation from your wife with other kids yeah absolutely 100 percent. yeah she's not gonna yell at a another person's kid like that'd be like cringy, I guess. That's how she would feel. Like, right. oh, I can't believe I yelled at someone else's kid. So then she says, why do kids outside the family get better behavior than me? Yeah, and that can lead to a lot of, uh, I guess, resentment and anger. 
and that could lash out in the physical attacks, essentially. Oh, it's crazy humiliating. It's crazy humiliating mm -hmm. for kids to see their parents treat strangers, other children, and everyone better than them. Yeah, so what you're saying is I should be yelling at other kids. No, I'm playing. Um, <laughs> That's right. You've, you've got it, man. <laughs> Escalate with everyone. And, and, and if she's at the DMV and someone's being difficult, you go pick that person up and you move them away in case they get clingy. You, you yeah. got it, man. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> you know, just all all anger or all, no, no. Oh, I get it. I get it. You know. And you say, you uh, say, listen, listen, my, my daughter, love of my life. Um, and fruit of my loins, uh, we realize that we have been treating other people better than you. So um, we, we have the choice. Obviously, we can start treating you better. But instead, we did flip a coin. Sorry, it came up evil. And we're just going to start treating everybody badly this way. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's kind of a segue. Um, with my older daughter, I did. I, I remember one of your podcasts, you said, you know, talk to your kid about, you know, what you did in the past. And I was like, I, I apologize to her for spanking and yelling at her. And I don't know if what reaction I was supposed to get. And she said it was okay, you know, but I said, no, it was not okay for me to do that, you know? So for any other parents out there, you know, it's never too late to apologize to your kid if you became a peaceful parent later on. Well, and of course, if you want your children to take ownership of things they do and to apologize when they go astray, you got to model that first. I mean, it is, we we so often expect our children to have more mature behaviors than we're demonstrating. Like your wife is expecting your daughter to maintain her temper when your wife is to some degree or another losing her temper, right? I mean, that's, mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, no, 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 you should do it. I, I mean, that's the right thing to do. It's like, but you, we, we can never, ever, we will never, ever get our children to do what we have not modeled. Never, it, it will yeah. never happen. If I, if I want my daughter to take self-ownership, then I have to take self-ownership first. If I want my daughter to apologize if she's done something wrong, then I have to apologize when I do something wrong. If I want my daughter to keep her best behavior for the family, then I have to keep my best behavior for the family. Yeah, um, I I don't know if you said it or I don't know where I heard it, but if kids act like adults, they wouldn't be kids, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah that's the thing, too. That's the thing, too, which is uh, you have to remember, like, there's still, there's still, I mean, my daughter's 12, right? I mean, if, if she was, you know, fully responsible and, and then she'd be already out of the house, so to speak, right? So, yeah, it is, you know, there's a long way to go. And, um, yeah, now, so, yeah, I think have, have, the, have the chat with your wife. I think that your wife, you know, it's, it's almost like a mental trick. I and mean, it's always a funny thing, right, in terms of, like, how do you keep your temper? Uh, pretend your kid is a cop. Yeah. Pretend your kid is someone else's kid. Pretend your kid is someone, some kid who's lost at the park. Pretend you're like, just pretend she's not your kid. It's a really wild thing. It's a really wild trick where it's like, oh, if this wasn't my child, I wouldn't behaving, wouldn't be behaving like this. If this kid was just over, even if they were over a lot, I wouldn't be behaving like this. And yeah. that's, you know, pretend it's the same thing with your wife. You know, pretend, pretend this is the first date. Pretend this is the first time she's come over to your house. You know, just just pretend. Pretend she's a cop. You know, whatever role playing you want to get into. Hey, man, get your freak flag hey, fly, yeah. right? But no, just yeah. if you want to treat people well, like your sibling, just pretend that uh, they're like uh, somebody who's who's uh, dying could leave you a million dollars. Like whatever, right? Just yeah. pretend that they're a stranger, and you'd be amazed. And of course, what we should be doing is we should be, if you want to be nice to strangers, we should say, well, I'll pretend that they're family. 
But it's quite the other way around, right? We have to say to family, I'll pretend that they're strangers in order to treat them better. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's completely crazy. But it is kind of the way life works, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, listen, I appreciate that. Uh, please let me know uh, how it goes. And um, I'm sorry for the, the tech uh, hiccups earlier. I'm really glad that you, you stuck it around. Uh, uh, helpful and, and useful thing to, to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I was never thought I'd actually speak to you. So this was definitely in, enlightening. And uh, I look forward maybe in the future to have more chats because, like I said, my older daughter has sleep issues and we've been battling that for almost eight, nine years. <laughs> so I would love to hear your insight on that. Oh yeah, well that was yeah. uh, that was uh, I got in trouble with my listeners pretty early on about that. And uh, sleep is- sleep issues or oh yeah, oh man, my daughter wouldn't sleep at all. We're my still daughter was like that Dick Van Dyke show that uh, he's got to stay awake for, like or like there was some Flintstones show where he's got to stay awake because he's got some virus or something. Uh, my daughter, uh, uh, she she does not get tired. She doesn't get yeah, tired mine either. She doesn't get tired. She never wants to go to bed. She never yawns. She never gets tired. And what, I mean, every now and then, you know, it's New Year's Eve, we're up or with friends or we're out or whatever, right? And it's like, she literally, it's like, it's four o'clock in the morning and she's like, let's play Pictionary. I'm like, dear God. (laughs) I I don't want to, I don't even want to talk. I just want to take her to a priest at that point. (laughs) It's like, this is unholy energy. Unholy. Yeah. And my wife's, yeah, I, I my wife's a morning person. I'm a night person, but I'm not that much of a night person. Sorry, you were saying? No, no, no I was saying I got the same issue. I, I don't know. It, it's created friction in the family, though, um, because it's frustrating to, you know, like, you have to go to bed. I don't, can't I can't go to bed. I can't sleep. Well, you need to sleep because of school. That's why the older ones in homeschool right now due to her wonky sleep schedule because she couldn't maintain waking up super early in the morning but i don't want to take other people's time so i'll no and at this way, no, that's that's fine i just wanted to mention yeah. that uh what we we just when she was a baby uh we sleep trained and it was not what we wanted to do but it was becoming like dangerous like we couldn't drive safe like we just we, we just had to do something right and so we did. We got a doula. We read the books, and we just we just sleep trained. And because I was reading that, you know, if you don't try and deal with sleep issues when the kids are young-ish, uh, then you know they they did the study. Kids who are sleep disturbed at two, uh, if nothing is done throughout their entire childhood, they end up they're still sleep disturbed in their twenties. Like that's still the way it goes. So um, yeah, there's there, I'm sure there's stuff you can do. I haven't dealt with the issue with older kids, but. Um, I, I, I certainly do think that if she can learn to self-soothe, right? Because the, the temper tantrums come from a lack of ability to self-soothe. Like whatever sentence clicks and makes you uh, soothe out, right? I mean, yeah. we've, all, we've all had this at some point in life. You know, we say to someone, oh, I will meet you at, uh, at the restaurant at, at, at 8 o'clock, right? And we go at 8 o'clock and the guy doesn't show up till 8.30. And he's like, no, 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 you said 8.30, right? And you said, no, 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 I said 8 o'clock. And then he plays you back the voicemail on his phone. It's then you said you actually said eight thirty, and immediately you you go from being angry to apologizing, right? And so there's yeah. there's always some piece of information that we get that can can turn things around, right? Can can turn things around, right? And yeah. I mean, for me not to feel helpless, for me not to feel like a victim after being sort of attacked and deplatformed. I mean, there's just perspectives that you can have. 
which is to not roll over and play the victim, but say, hey, I made choices that I knew were risky, and I'm still glad that I made them, and if that was the price, that's the price. It's, it's worth it for me. I wouldn't go back and say, well, you can't say this or you can't say that because you want to keep your YouTube or your Twitter or whatever. So there's things that you can say to yourself that are going to completely change your mind about things. And I'm not saying you can talk yourself into or out of anything, or like Hamlet says, there's nothing good or bad, but ne- but but uh, thinking makes it so. There is stuff that's bad. It's tough to find a positive spin on cancer or amputation or whatever, right? But um, so, or, or like I have one of my eyes is weaker than the other. And uh, so I sit there and say, oh, okay, I can't see as well out of this eye than out of this eye. And I sit there and say, well, that's kind of a drag. And then it was actually just today I said, you know, instead of being sort of mildly annoyed that I have one eye that's slightly weaker than the other, why aren't I happy that I have one eye that's stronger than the other? (laughs) You know, like what about that as a perspective rather than being annoyed at something that's a little weaker? How about being happy at something that's stronger? Because if I had two eyes that were that weak, it would be a bit of more of a drag. And it's not a huge difference, but it's just a little bit of a thing I kind of notice. So... There's something that you can say that is going to change your mind and uh, about how you feel. So with regards to your daughter, with the temper tantrum, she just doesn't have the sentence that's going to calm things down, that's going to cool things down. Mm. And uh, it's it's the same thing with your wife and her getting frustrated. She doesn't have the sentence that is going to calm her down or is going to uh, cool her down. You know, if my daughter is is, is pretty punchy and, and I like that, because how could you raise someone to think for themselves and then also hope that they're not punchy? Because, you know, first of all, I'm a little punchy. I can't really complain if she is, and she kind of needs that attribute. So instead of saying, oh, it's kind of annoying if she's being punchy, I can say, I'm really, um, uh, I'm pleased and proud that I raised her to to disagree with me and, and to to fight for what she believes in and for what she wants. That's that's a good thing. Uh, so again, there's usually a sentence that can turn a key. Uh, in in your head about this stuff, and there will be. So she has a, a thing about sleep, right? A thing about sleep. The, the older, yeah, the older one. Yeah, sorry, the older one. She has a thing about sleep, yeah. and it's it's a sentence about it uh, that's that's got something to do with with sleep with her. Like maybe uh, things are cooler late at night. Uh, uh, early morning is for stupid people and suckers and farmers and you know or, or whatever. She's got some narrative about sleep that will have something to do with with how she perceives it and. Um, um, I, it's something Tom Woods said some some years ago because Tom Woods gained some weight, lost some weight, and because he's a little on the short side, I, he was saying something like, "Well, I had this sort of idea that if I ate more, I'd sort of look bigger, and I just had this relationship with food that was probably had something to do with being short." And I'm probably butchering it, but it was something like that. And if you can find the things that you have in your life that say why you do things, why why do you do things? You know, well. You know, if if uh, if you have this thing about like late night is when the cool stuff happens, late night was in when the exciting stuff happens, and every time it's an early morning, it's never for anything good. Like when I was a kid, sleeping in was like the greatest thing ever, and getting up early was never, almost never for a good thing. It was almost never for a good thing, and and just being tired in the morning and all of that, and all the fun stuff happened late at night. Like my mom was a night owl, and when she'd have visitors over or friends over, she had people who came over from Germany a lot, and and they'd be up late, they'd be chatting and laughing and drinking wine and smoking and and or seemingly having a blast, and that was all late at night. And in the morning, yeah. my mom would be frantic and tired. I remember she used to run around with her heels on looking for stuff. She was always missing some bus fare or some wallet or some keys or something like that and so the mornings were always tense and and panicky and and negative and all of that and and 
I would want to come out and help her, except it might be more dangerous to try and help her than just stay in bed and pretend to be asleep. So for me, nights was like, how oh, it was fun. That was when the cool stuff happened. That's when the great conversations happened. And morning, oh, that's when the stress happened. And that's when the obligations happened. You had to go to work. You had to go to school. And, and sleeping in was great because, you know, you got to stay up late the night before, which is when the fun. And my mom was much more fun at night than she was in the morning, which is no fun in the morning at all. So I just had a thing about, now, it may be partly my biology about, you know, night owls versus morning people because, I mean, as as when we grew up in a tribal species, you would, I mean, you needed people to guard you all night long, right? I mean, from predators or animals or whatever, right? So, so some people would be night owls who would guard at night and some people would be morning people who would guard in the morning. Uh, and that, so it kind of makes sense. It's kind of half and half, but it would be interesting to explore sort of what, what are your daughter's thoughts about nighttime and I mean, my daughter's pretty frank. She's like, well, nights when all the fun stuff happens, there's not much to do in the morning. Well, so that stuff can be adjusted. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks very much. I really, really appreciate it. Please yeah. do let me know how it goes. And listen, I, uh, or not me, but the internet faffed up fairly heavily earlier tonight. So I'm happy to stay longer if you guys want to chat. I know there's a couple of people who have uh, ideas or, or conversations they want to have. Feel free to unmute yourself and I'm at your disposal. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Bye. man. All right. Anybody? Anybody? Everybody. That's right. I'm doing Backstreet Boys until people talk to me. That's it. That's your punishment, man. Huh. Oh, that brought them out of the woodwork. What's up, my friend? Oh, this is new. Okay, I'm new to this. All right. All right. Hey, so I just ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, so... so is is it bad? Say say someone uh, wants uh, to have babies, and have you no relationship with them. Would it be a bad idea? What they want you to be a sperm donor? Pretty much. Oh, I uh, I don't know, man. That's pretty rough. <laughs> That's pretty rough. I mean, would they? Would this woman? Would she be planning on raising the kid without a dad? I mean, I imagine she might find some other men, maybe trick them or something. I don't know. Uh, and what if she decides to go after you for paternity? Uh, that's what's. That's why I wouldn't do it. I mean, that's definitely clear cut reason not to. Yeah, I I would save your boys for your own children. Uh, frankly, uh, I think handed them out like I mean, unless it's a sperm donor kind of thing where it's like a totally different situation. But um, I think that uh, shooting in a cup for a friend is probably not the best way to uh, celebrate new life in this world. All right, thank you. All right, man. Everybody, yeah, yeah, rock your body. All right, anybody else? Anybody else? Going once, going twice. Going three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, sperm donor, I think, is fine. But sorry, go ahead. Do you want to give us some of your personal insights or opinions on the uh, how the Chauvin case is going, the George George Floyd's Chauvin thing? Oh yeah, the um, the defense just started, right? Or recently? I'm not following it very closely. It's a lot of drama for me, and whatever happens. Oh. Yeah, so, so 
so there's a there's a let, let me ask you guys out here, right? Let me ask you guys out this. Um, what percentage of jury decisions are based on the facts and evidence of the case? Just you know, give me a rough percentage. What percentage of jury decisions are based on a uh, processing of the facts of the case? Just throw out some numbers here. Somebody says you would hope at least eighty percent. Uh, you would hope at least eighty percent, right? Uh, anybody else? Yeah, DMX died, right? Yeah, it's pretty pretty rough. Thirty percent. We got a thirty percent here. Anybody else? What do you got? What do you got? Zero percent. Well, it's not zero, but yeah. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any need for them, right? So the the answer tends to be. This is from pretty experienced lawyers. They say about ten to twenty percent of the decisions that the jury make are based upon the facts, the reason and evidence of the case. So ten to 20%. And and it's pretty rough too because if you're the holdout, right? So if you're a holdout, then you, if you need unanimous convictions, right? And you're the the 12th man and you don't think the guy did it or whatever, then it's a hung jury, which means a retrial, right? So what happens is the judge will say, they, they come out and they say, listen, man, we can't get to unanimous verdict. Uh, we got one guy and he's like, go back. So you got to go back. And then you keep coming out, and they'll just keep sending you back. And man, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to uh, to deal with for for a lot of people, right? And so what what will happen is that people will say, "Okay, I can't go for first degree murder, maybe manslaughter," and you end up with the the holdout on the jury negotiating for a plea bargain, so to speak, in a, in a weird kind of way. And it's I mean, it's a, it's a really it's a really messy and and pretty uh, pretty terrible. Uh, system so um so yeah the chauvin trial yeah it's uh it's pretty bad i mean it's pretty so you've got the the state's guy uh the state's guy uh came in and was so effective at testifying for the defense that the defense is ending up calling him as a witness <laughs> to prove stuff i mean it's really it's really terrible so there's a couple of things that have come out of it and i'll just touch on this briefly because I'm not really doing that much current events uh, at the moment. But um, so, as you know, George Floyd had three times a fatal dose of fentanyl in his system. And what does fentanyl do? Fentanyl kills you by suppressing your breathing, right? It, it inhibits your breathing, right? And you can hear uh, George Floyd saying quite clearly, as he's wrestling with the cops, now, first of all, he throws away, and I talked about all of this early last year, he throws away the drugs, uh, there, there are drugs in the car. They didn't even search the car until recently, the cop guy, and then they found the drugs. The um, the girlfriend, because, you know, he, he was passing this $20 bill that was counterfeit, and then he wouldn't return it, uh, wouldn't return the cigarettes. And he's sitting in the car, and there's another man in the car. The other man in the car, I think, has now pled the fifth, because apparently he's implicated as being the drug dealer or something like that. That also makes things complicated, because... If George Floyd took the drugs that were given to him by a drug dealer and he died because of those drugs, then the drug dealer could be on the on the hook for third degree murder, right? So it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty rough. There's a, a, a section of the tape where George Floyd can pretty clearly be heard saying, I ate too many drugs. So if he decided to uh swallow uh drugs to to hide evidence or whatever it is, then well that's not good, right? Uh, and the, if they had burst or ruptured or something like that, then that's also not good. It's also important to remember that the 
The original medical examiner found no evidence of asphyxiation, no evidence of neck compression. There's also something that is coming up, which is um, uh, a camera bias, right? So you look at something from a certain angle. You know, we've all seen these kind of memes on like some, some guy looks like he's leaning against the Eiffel Tower and it turns out that he's like right in front of it. The Eiffel Tower is like half a mile in the background. You can just mess with this perspective all the time. And so uh, from a certain perspective, yeah, it looks like Derek Chauvin is leaning on George Floyd's neck. But from the body camera uh, of Derek Chauvin, it's very clear that he's leaning on the shoulder blade. And that is perfectly allowable. It's perfectly acceptable. And the, um, uh, the, the, the cops are trained that if somebody can talk, they can breathe. And therefore, if somebody keeps repeating that they can't breathe, then the cop is told not to believe them because people lie all the time when they're being arrested, right? And so... Um, they're told that uh, if he can if he can talk, he can breathe, and therefore, right? And the other thing, when George Floyd was talking to, uh, uh, crying out for his mama, it's a heart-wrenching situation, of course, but it turns out mama is his nickname for his girlfriend, or maybe he was just asking for that. Uh, another thing that was a problem is that uh, the one of the people who was testifying on behalf, uh, on behalf of the prosecution was asked, okay, so you would use this kind of restraint? Yes, I would. And also... Um, have you ever had it where somebody is unconscious, you take off the restraint, and then they come to life sometimes as aggressive or even more aggressive than they were in the past? Well, uh, the guy said, well, yes, it can happen. Like, you, you, you've got somebody can restrained, they pass out, you take off whatever restraint, maybe the cuffs, maybe you get off their back, and then they jump up, you know, perhaps if they're on some kind of drugs, like a PCP or something like that, and they jump up, and they can be as aggressive or more aggressive than they were before. So that's a big problem. Uh, another problem, of course, is one of the reasons I think they had to keep him, uh, George Floyd, restrained was because the mob was getting very angry. This is another reason why they didn't do uh, medical assistance on site. They just grabbed him and threw him in the back of the ambulance and, and boogied out of there because they can't uh, provide any medical assistance if they're in fear of of danger and the, so the mob was getting you know the mob interfered the mob was one of the reasons why the the guy had to be restrained uh, George Floyd and then the mob was the reason why he couldn't get medical attention on site and uh, yeah it's just you know it was just one of these terribly unfortunate things but this is why we need innocent until proven guilty this is why we need a jury system this is why we need prosecution why we need defense why and i don't know what a court of law would look like in a truly free society but you need all this stuff because come on i mean this is one of the complaints that the black community has rightly had about lynching in the past was that people would just assume guilt and d demand punishment without going through due process right and and now of course you've got not everyone of course but a lot of people in the black community and other communities as well is saying well this guy's got to hang or he's got to be found guilty and if he's not found guilty we're going to riot and burn things down it's like you understand that that's that's the very definition of lynching the very definition of lynching so i guess it's just kind of sad to see a legitimate historical grievance be thrown away by a mob well lynching is really terrible so let's lynch this guy and like no connection between the two right so yeah, Minneapolis. Uh, it is going to be. Uh, it is going to be uh, bad, right? It's called lynch mob, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the jury is. They're worried about being targeted for attack, and uh, oh yeah, my gosh, uh, my gosh, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And now you have this this young man, who was um, accidentally shot by the lady cop. Oops.
that's a big whoops right there. And of course, she should be liable for that. I mean, this is a terrible behavior, even if it's accidental, which I, you know, it sounds like it was. She still killed the guy. And uh, he's got to an answer can for I that. Just, can I just say something? Yeah, Steph? go for it, man. I do not know how you can confuse a taser with a handgun. Well, and she was she was like she's like twenty plus year veteran of the force. She wasn't new to the situation. They look totally different. They feel totally different. But apparently, it's a thing thing. because cops need. I mean, they're. I assume they're on opposite sides too because you wouldn't want them next to each other. And but but this is training. You actually have to get trained for this to to figure out whether something's a taser or a gun because you obviously don't want to be uh, mistaking these these things. But um, I don't know, man. I, uh, when adrenaline's pumping, you like I'll, I'll, I'd like to give a little bit of a benefit of the doubt, because when obviously we we weren't in her situation, adrenaline is pumping, time goes slow. But it's well, simple, listen, I mean, <laughs> this is another thing too: is that how much additional stress? And I'm not excusing the woman's behavior. I mean, you can't be obviously accidentally shooting people and get away with it. But how much additional stress was she under because she was trying to arrest a black guy 10 miles from George Floyd's death and the black guy was trying to resist arrest, was was resisting arrest. I mean, people are like, oh, he he just got into his car and drove away. It's like, that's not really an option when, when you're being arrested. And he was being arrested for, I think, aggravated robbery with a weapon. He was also being, he had a warrant out for his arrest for freeing, fleeing from the police in the past, right? So it is... Um, I mean, these kinds of situations are going to keep happening. I mean, I hate to say it, they're just going to keep happening. The other thing, too, is that, I mean, my gosh, all respect for the good cops who are out there, and there are, of course, quite a lot of them, but uh, there aren't a lot of people who are dying to become cops these days. Like, do you really want to go and become a cop in Minneapolis when you look at uh, what's happening to the three people who were trying to arrest George Floyd? I mean, their lives are, like... Whether they're in prison or not, and, you know, it looks like they'll be acquitted under rational circumstances, but, uh, oh my gosh. Oh, somebody's saying no robbery charges, he had no permit for his gun? Is that right? Can somebody give me a fact check on that? Um, I thought that there were robbery charges uh, in the past, just had no permit for his gun. So he's carrying a gun without a permit and then fled from the cops, is that what people are saying? So, yeah, if somebody can check me on that, I had read that uh, he was... um, uh, he had had robbery issues in the past, but I could be uh, could be wrong about that, of course. So, but yeah. So, how many people want to go and be cops? Uh, not not that many. Uh, it's uh, pretty rough. It's a pretty rough uh, situation uh, to try and police. I mean, particularly. Come on, let's be frank. I mean, if you're a white cop in a black neighborhood, whew, that's uh, that's not going to be good. It's not going to be good at all. Somebody says uh, he robbed a woman. This is Duante, right? Duante, right? He robbed a woman at gunpoint. Is that right? All right. Canadian cops carry luggage for illegal immigrants. Oh, oh yeah. Don't resist the cops. Yeah, you you don't you don't resist the cops. Of course not. But listen, this this what I've read about uh, this Duante, this young man. He was twenty, right? Is that he obviously was black and he was also learning disabled. So he dropped out of high school, or was I don't know if he was dropped or kicked out of high school because he was learning disabled, which to me, would put his IQ in the 70s, I guess, statistically. Uh, so I don't know, could he even drive a car? I, I have no idea. I have no idea about any of these things, but uh, it's not a good situation. And somebody who's learning disabled is, you know, it, it's they're just not going to make very good decisions in general. 
I mean, that's kind of what the definition of learning disabled is, is you can't make very good decisions. And it's not a, a, a moral flaw. It's not a character flaw or anything like that. It's just that uh, nobody uh, who's who's got that limited cognitive ability is going to be making super great decisions. So that is a uh, that is a pretty uh, a pretty problem. It's a pretty problematic thing, right? Yeah, Esther Levant's getting pretty pounded by the uh, Montreal police, right? And did they, yeah, they, was it Rebel Media? Did they just do that? I know that they went. Uh, they declared his Airbnb a crime scene, and uh, that's uh, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Uh, let's just see here. Oh yeah. So all right. Um, I hope that helps a little. I haven't been following the defense because I just find it kind of uh, pointless. Um, it's already been the case. Uh, it, it's been very well established that if they found George Floyd alone in his room with that level of fentanyl in his system, they just say, "Well, that's an OD, right?" So they Step say there's a video of Duante way. smoking marijuana, mm. drinking Hennessy, and brandishing a gun. Yeah. I posted a link with uh, uh, on the the, uh, the defense there. There's like a, a female firefighter. I posted it in the chat there. Yeah, uh, everyone should check that out. It is it is cringy. When you just see the conduct of this public servant, it is just, it's not pretty, man. It is just awful. Uh, I don't see that. I see um, New Mexico cop Darian Jarrett shooting <clears throat> death during traffic stop video. I don't know what that is. No, that's not it. Have I been watching Tucker Carlson lately? Uh, I've been watching clips here and there. And... Yeah, I mean, he is pretty, he's pretty, he's getting pretty based, I would say, old Tucker. He's getting pretty based. Uh, he's talking about uh, demographic replacement and dilution of local votes with immigration and so on. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's doing, uh, he's doing God's own work, I guess, out there in the, uh, in the hinterland. All right. Any other questions or comments? So, let me just check the chat here, or you can unmute yourself if you'd like to. It's funny, I do and I don't miss doing sort of the deep analysis. Sorry, I just asked this. I'm just going to say I do and don't miss doing the deep analysis of these legal cases. It did really feel like ever since, um, oh gosh, uh, George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin, it's really felt like Groundhog Day with this kind of stuff over and over. But So sorry, I won't interrupt again if you wanted to mention something. No worries. I just was curious if you heard of the uh, baffling Project Veritas uh, leak or whatever you want to call that. The CNN one? Yeah. Yeah, somehow uh, James O'Keefe has girls on Tinder talking to CNN people. Oh, yeah. No, I, I listen, I, I have huge respect for what James does, and he's uh, kicking ass over the New York Times of defamation. He's just announced that they're going to launch a defamation suit against uh, CNN. And, yeah, he's kicking asses and taking names, man. And he's doing, he's doing great work. And uh, he's definitely somebody I think people should support. And yeah, so he's got, uh, I think it's a technical head of CNN saying, oh yeah, we ran propaganda to lie about Trump and get him out of office. And I mean, that's obvious to anybody with half a brain. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's doing some pretty wild work out there. And uh, I'm sure that uh, he does this usual thing where he puts out like the second worst stuff, waits a day or two for the last porn and then puts the clincher in. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of the next couple of days. But yeah, it's some pretty powerful stuff he's putting out. Yeah, he's great. I mean, we all knew it, but it's just nice to see them say it. 
Oh, yeah, no, I mean, and, and of course, you can send this to people. And now, of course, the new thing is it's not a climate change, it's now a climate emergency, right? Because um, Zucker at the head of CNN, I guess, what do you, they say, you know, fear sells. Yes, it does. And and what should limit your fear sells approach, right? This is just any media organization, right? So you've got this uh, fear does sell, right? But what would prevent you from constantly terrifying everyone is basic human empathy, right? Basic human empathy, right? So you can tell your children that if they don't brush their teeth, they're going to get a visit from Mr. Eyeball Plucker in the middle of the night. And then you can dress up as Mr. Eyeball Plucker and, and you know, you can terrify the living crap out of your kids and you probably get them to brush their teeth, but you won't do that because of basic human empathy. And so, yes, you can trade cortisol for money. You've got the alchemy where the fight or flight mechanism, you can translate that to money. And what would prevent you from doing that is basic human empathy, which is, I don't want to make people's lives terrible and fearful and anxious just for money because I'm a human being with some basic mirror neurons and a capacity for basic empathy, right? So that is what should be happening, but that's not really what's happening. And it's a really terrible thing, right? So people are all like, oh my gosh, they, they care for us so much that they don't want us to die of COVID. They care for us so much, they're going to lock down, they're going to get us these vaccines, and they're gonna, they, they want us to stay six feet apart and put masks, because they care about us so much. It's like, no, they don't. If you've never heard that Michael Jackson song, all I want to say is that they don't really care about us. Of course they don't, right? I mean, did they care about the massive debt that your kids are being put into? No. Did they care about the fact that uh, there are hundreds of thousands of children being raped and sexually molested in government schools? Nope. They don't care about that, really. Uh, Do they care that uh, mass migration has driven massive crime waves uh, around the world and diluted people's votes? No, they don't care about that. Do they care that uh, uh, Pakistani uh, immigrants created these grooming gangs in the UK that raped hundreds of thousands of little white British girls? No, they didn't care about that. So the idea that they've just suddenly woken up to their empathy and now they care about you in COVID. It's just crazy. Oh, man. And and all of the people who were like, well, you know, that's true that they did suspend, what is it, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because of blood clots, but it was only seven people in seven million. It's like, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Come on, man. That that various reporting system is like 1%, 1% of the number of people. So, and And now suddenly, even though you have a tiny chance of dying of COVID, particularly if you're not overweight, or of ill health or extremely old, you've got a very tiny chance of dying from COVID. But that's apparently really, really important, that tiny, tiny chance. But then when you have a tiny chance of having a terribly negative effect from a vaccine, oh, that's just irrelevant. That doesn't matter at all. Oh, my God. I don't know. The, the fantasy that they care about us is just one of the last things to go. So, All right. Any other questions or thoughts? I'm all ears. Unmute thyself, if you dare. Uh, can, can you, you hear me? Yeah. I just wanted to I was just going to ask a question about um, what advice you would have to young people or people who are kind of getting to a position where they're about to build a career. Uh, how how would they address some of the feelings that I'm addressing right now, where it's it's difficult to justify building up a society that's like constantly t- trying to destroy everything that you know, has, has any sense of worth. Oh, yeah. So there's great liberty. There's great liberation in recognizing that this is all just a dead cat bounce. 
of a society that's eaten itself. A society that has eaten itself. And so when you sort of recognize that, then trying to build is like taking piano lessons on the Titanic, right? After the icebergers hit. So um, you, whatever's coming next, and I hope it's going to be a freer society. I mean, probably won't be right away, but eventually I hope so. But um, yeah, there's just great liberty in just saying, okay, well, this uh, system is done. Now, there's this great life raft of crypto, Bitcoin, whatever it is, right? Whatever alternative system that you can set up uh, is is great. There's lots of opportunities uh, all throughout the world, but uh, I would certainly uh, not be particularly... Now, this could be a phase of life, too. Like, I'm an older guy than you, obviously. I'm going to be 55 this year, so freedom 55, right? But there is great liberation in uh, giving up. I know that's kind of funny, but it is important to give up. It is important to give up when you can't win. And I think that the future will belong to the people who didn't exhaust themselves trying to prop up something which can't possibly stay up. You know, if you're trying to hold up some tunnel and the tunnel starts collapsing and you run out and then other people are like, oh, we got to stay, like they're just going to get crushed. And so I think that it's important to to know when to be nimble. And there's lots of things that you can do. Um, I certainly wouldn't join any big organizations, particularly if you're white and male. I mean, you just can't have a career, right? This is true even, I think, um, Mike Cernovich was saying that his dad was denied being a police officer, which would have helped their family enormously because he was white. Uh, Scott Adams had three careers destroyed because he was a white male. And this was decades ago. It's much worse now. So uh, be entrepreneurial, be nimble, get into crypto. Anthony Pompliano has a great board uh, of, of job openings, and you don't need a lot of experience. You just need to be smart and curious. They don't care about your education. So uh, I would definitely get entrepreneurial, and I would stay um, in, in cryptos, you know, pay all your taxes, do all the right stuff, because, you know, they've got the power and they've got the laws. But there's a lot that you can do. But what I wouldn't do is kind of dry dive into and 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 keep things going. I, I think that was certainly the goal for a lot of people behind Trump. And uh, yeah, well, Snowden and Julian Assange didn't get any pardons needed with any of the MAGA grandmothers who were wandering around at the Capitol building. But uh, Jared Kushner's dad got a pardon, right? Everyone else got screwed. But Jared Kushner's dad is just fine. And that's uh, that's what saving the Titanic came to. So yeah, it's it's time to know it's good to know when to get off board and uh, start working for something that's just for you and uh, let society take care of itself as it as it can, as it best can, if that helps. That does. Thank you, Stefan. You're very welcome. That. All right. I go extra tonight because we had some tech issues earlier. So if there's anything else people want to ask, I'm happy to hear. Any words of advice? I'm about to get um, off. I'm sorry. Words sorry, of advice. I, Go. Just real quick. I'm about to get off. I just wanted to say you helped me out a lot in the last two to three years. Uh, I've been listening to you for a long time. I was trying to subscribe through D Live. Uh, Squirrel seems to want a left testicle. To uh, um, I don't know. I thought D Live was just so a lemon thing, you, wasn't right? it? Actually, let's throw out some lemons. What do you say? Uh, yeah, DLive, I think it's just a lemon-based thing, isn't it? It's like $4.09 US. 
to subscribe to you. I mean, I followed you, but I wanted to subscribe to kind of contribute. It's just better to go to your website, huh? Yeah, I would say. So there's a couple of places that you can. You can go to uh, freedomain.locals.com and uh, you can subscribe there. Uh, you can, of course, go to unauthorized.tv uh, and you can subscribe there. You can subscribe on my website. So that probably is the way uh, is the way to go. About the middle, man. All right. All right. Pleasure. And listen, I really, I really appreciate oh. your kind words, and I'm absolutely thrilled that uh, philosophy has been helpful to you. I, I really, I really thank you for for letting me know that because, you know, especially it's funny, you know, ever since like end of YouTube, end of end of um, uh, Twitter, and so on. Uh, I used to get a lot of feedback in YouTube comments and so on, and uh, feedback on Twitter and so on. So it's nice to get the feedback, and I really do appreciate it. So, all right, there was somebody else who wanted to uh, mention something or bring something up. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to do um, uh, ask you any uh, advice on ostracism in and out of the libertarian communities. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be getting more intense uh the more uh of a free thinker you are um sorry the more what the the more of a free thinker you are the more you're into philosophy um the more you draw that sort of truth it seems uh you, you get ostracized so i i've taken your advice on choosing one to draw that sort of truth and you know with the status quo that's almost never because if you disagree with them you're automatically ostracized, automatically talked behind your back. Yeah, so, I mean, certainly it seems like the time for individualism as a philosophy may not be much in the front, it may be more in the rear view, because I think collective action is the only way to survive the growing tribalism of the modern world. But uh, I, I would say this about, about libertarians, and I like libertarians as a whole. I, I think the philosophy is very good in, in many ways, so this is no, does not come from a place of hatred, but uh, many years ago, uh, early on in my show, it's probably close to 15 years ago, I uh, put forward the proposition to the libertarians that the non-aggression principle should be best acted within the family in anti-spanking and um, raising raising children well. And of course, if they had taken my advice or if been curious enough to ask me more, then we would already have a group of people coming to adulthood, could be hundreds of thousands of people coming to adulthood without uh, having been spanked or yelled at or aggressed against. And we'd have the non-aggression principle manifested in hundreds of thousands of, you know, fine, strong, upstanding young men and women of every race and and uh, and gender. And uh, the libertarians, when I said that the non-aggression principle should be the most applied in your own life, and, you know, you can talk about the Fed, but what really matters is what you could do in your own life. Uh, they didn't really like that so much. They didn't really like actionable philosophy. And this is what always gets me in trouble, <laughs> right? I shouldn't laugh. It does. It gets me in trouble. Too bad. Fuck it. It gets me in trouble, right? But what gets me in trouble is I talk about shit you can act on. I talk about philosophy, like what happens if it actually comes to life? What happens if it's actually a real thing? What happens if you can do philosophy rather than just talk philosophy? So non-aggression principle, okay. Who are the biggest group of people violated by the non-aggression principle sorry who's the biggest group of people suffering from violations of the non-aggression principle people oh taxpayers or it's like no no it's children they get genitally mutilated they get beat confined hit uh thrown in their rooms uh, starved sometimes uh, they're drugged uh, in schools and so children are by far i'm sorry 
Sorry, say again. I think somebody else is unmuted. Oh, okay, no problem. So, yeah, it's it's children who are by far the biggest victims of violations of the non-aggression principle, and, bonus, it's what you can do the most about. I mean, isn't that perfect for libertarians? Oh, we care about the non-aggression principle. Okay, here's the biggest victim class, and you can do the most about that. You can do it with your own children. You can not hit, not yell, not spank. You can spread that word among people. You can't spread words among people saying, don't use government currency. I mean before the Bitcoin and all. And you can't spread word around people saying don't pay your taxes because it's illegal to not pay your taxes. You should pay your taxes. And so I said to libertarians, you care about the non-aggression principle? Yes. Okay, wouldn't it be great if there was the largest group of people suffering from violations of the non-aggression principle that you could actually do something about and you could actually bring your values into being? And uh, I published an article, The Case Against Banking. I had uh, debates. And I, you, I got a lot of invitations to libertarian conferences back in the day. And uh, what happened to those when I started really pointing out how you could actually act on your values, actually bring the non-aggression principle to life in your own communities and your own families? They all stopped. And, and not one, not one, Libertarian Conference has ever invited me to give a talk on peaceful parenting. Not one ever. Now, the other thing that I said was, if you define violations of the non-aggression principle as evil, then the people who advocate for you being thrown in jail for disobeying the state are immoral, right? Because they are advocating you being thrown into prison for disagreeing with them or disagreeing with the state. And so if you define something as good, the opposite of it must be evil. And that should have some effect on your personal relationships. And did they like that? Did, no, of course not, right? So they didn't defend me when I was called the cult leader. They all took a big step back and so on, right? Because, of course, um, it's the cults who would call me a cult leader because I'm actually liberating people from the cults of abusive families. So so I think libertarians are a great philosophy, a lot of really cool people, a lot of nice ideas. Um, they don't want to do shit. They don't want to actually do anything about this. So it's just talk. It's talk and, and, I don't know, drugs and hedonism and uh, I don't know what. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a gig. It, it's not, they don't actually believe in these values. Because if they believed in these values and they actually had empathy for people, then they'd say, oh, my God, that, that guy, that crazy Canadian guy, he just, he just made this connection for me. The biggest group of people uh, the hey. non-aggression principle <laughs> violates is children. And that's something we can actually do something about. We can really, really help that. So that should have been at least a reasonably large movement in libertarianism, but they didn't want to do it. And they didn't even want to hear about it, and they didn't really want to talk about it. And again, no hate, no foul. It's just I'm, I'm a fact eater. I just munch facts, right? And that's just a fact. So if you ever want to get ostracized from libertarians, simply talk to them about child abuse and the non-aggression principle, and they'll do that job for you because they don't want to do anything. They just want to talk. All right. Do you think that maybe... Yes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I was just wondering, uh, do you think that maybe some of these libertarians might see children as their own property as opposed to actual autonomous beings? Because, you know, like property rights, like, for example, I look at my phone, I'm like, oh, this is my phone. I can like smash it up against the wall if I want, because it's my phone, not somebody else's phone. You know, same reason why some people like they won't yell at or hit other people's kids, but they'll do that to their own kids. Do You think maybe that might have something to do with it? I mean, I think that would be an intellectual justification for it. 
But I don't understand anybody who doesn't have empathy for children, who would view children as property, like they're slaves. My God. Well, it's like, you know, like the mother, like she'll be like, oh, well, you know, I gave birth to you. I brought you into this world, blah, blah, blah. I can take you out, that kind of thing. I've heard that a million times. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's an old uh, Bill Cosby thing, which should have given us some clue as to his character, right? Which is, yeah, I don't think that murder threats is, is a really great way to deal with children. Um, much, no, definitely not. Right. So, yeah. Listen, they can have this thing. Well, you know, but uh, they're property, and and therefore we don't have to protect them from genital mutilation or um, being beaten or or whatever. Right. It's like okay. Well, yeah. Um, I guess if you had an apple corer, uh, you could uh, have sex with a watermelon, which is your property. So if you can have sex with your property. What does that mean with regards to children? I mean, they can't just be considered yeah. property. And, of course, libertarians hate slavery. Why? Because you can't own another human being as property. So, no, it's no, um, uh, there probably is some justification, but all that – listen, if you help children, they will, they will, they will remember you forever because it's so bloody rare, right? And so if you mm-hmm. want people to grow up with an allegiance to libertarianism, how about – you know, how about – you help the victims of child abuse, and that way you you become known as somebody who really helps the victims and really helps the children. That is going to be wonderful for the kids. They're going to remember it forever. They're going to love you forever. And what a great entree into the value of your philosophy as opposed to, well, we're going to step over the bodies of children being beaten and genitally mutilated. And what we're going to go is talk about uh, how the Fed shouldn't be controlling interest rates. It's like, oh, come on. Give me a break. Yeah, you can't hold a double standard. It's ridiculous. Well, you can. It's just that, you know, and and of course, I I do take it a little bit personally because if the libertarians had stood up with me about, like the libertarians are all into voluntary relationships, right? All your relationships should be voluntary. Mm -hmm. When I point that out about adult victims of child abuse and their abuse, their continually abusive parents, and then I get attacked by the media, it would have been really nice to have libertarians sit there and say, well, no, but we have four voluntary relationships. And so uh, mm-hmm. Steph's exactly right. If you, are, if, you were, if you were abused by a parent as a child and that parent remains relentlessly and unapologetically abusive as an adult, of course you don't have to see them. I mean, of course not, right? I mean, they could have really helped me out, mm-hmm. but, uh, but they didn't, and this is where we are. Yeah, well, I'm 100% with you on all this oh thank <laughs> you me. I, um, yeah no problem um yeah it's just it, it is frustrating talking to some people like libertarians i guess and you know when you mention child abuse or even just yeah spanking which is you know they don't see it that way but it is like abuse like it's it is it's frustrating and, and very annoying that they can like sit there and say well you know like i could hit them because that would be assault but it's okay for them to hit a kid that's like discipline you know it's just like well how about i discipline you and see how you like it yeah i'm bigger and stronger (laughs) i'm bigger and stronger so i can do what i like and uh, and yet the the state being big and stronger shouldn't do what it likes to us because right it's all i mean it's all um i don't know i mean that i'll talk i'll talk at some point about the psychology of the libertarian. And I, again, I don't do this with hatred. Uh, I do it with love and, and uh, care and concern. But um, uh, if, if you refuse to apply your principles where you have any power to do so, but you only reserve your principles for that which you can have no effect on, nobody's going to believe your principles. 
nobody is going to believe your principles. You just look faintly ridiculous to everyone else. And uh, I don't think that they see that very clearly. So, No, I guess not. All right. Well, thank you. It's a great, great comment. Great question. All right. One or two more. What are you guys' thoughts? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. People pointing out your dog and your cat is kind of like your property. It doesn't mean you get to abuse it, right? Right. All right. Are we closing up for the night? Unmute. Is that where might makes right comes from? Uh, might makes right is a phrase that comes from, emotionally, it comes from people who were beaten by their parents, who believed their parents were justified in doing so. They worship, that nobody likes to just worship power, and so you have to pretend that the power is virtuous. So might makes right is... Um, uh, and I go into this in more in my novel, which you should really check out. It's free, uh, freedomain.com forward slash almost. Uh, it's an audiobook novel, and you can check out my full acting range uh, if you like. And um, uh, so it's the conflation of people who have power over me must have been exercising that power for good, not because they're sadists, not because they're bullies, not because they're assholes, but because they're good. So might and right have to conflate in people to pretend uh, to protect an imaginary bond with their abusers. That's deep. It is. That's what we do, man. Uh, hey, Steph, spare the rod and spoil the child. Oh, we got a couple of boring trolls in there. Yeah, so the rod doesn't refer to a stick, right? It refers to wisdom. Spare the wisdom and spoil the child. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think, isn't it a, a shepherd's rod, which is basically not used to hit the sheep? It's supposed to just be yeah, pointed them. at and directed yeah. the sheep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> people <laughs> what can you do did you were you gonna be yeah i know <laughs> were you gonna be uh logging off soon or, or yeah i've been going almost uh, three hours so i might uh i, I just want okay. one day i'll do i'll just i get it it's nice at the comfy chair too i'll tell you that straight up uh, oh somebody was joking okay. not a troll okay sorry about that um but uh it's pretty i, I should do a 12 hour one day just it would just be i'll just get you know something to drink some snacks and, and i'll just a, 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 a diaper like a, an astronaut driving cross country and I'm, I'm good, to, good to go but it would be fun it'd be fun <laughs> okay okay all right. right i'll ask another time i'll ask my all right again. well thanks very much yeah so i think i'll uh, uh close down now but i really appreciate everyone uh struggling through some of the technical issues um just had a weird hiccup that everything kind of went honky uh hinky i suppose and um thanks everyone so much if you would like to help out the show free domain dot com forward slash donate somebody says almost is the product of a mad genius yeah kind of how are people calling in we have a um it's been posted a couple of times it's uh telegram as well so is lemon a crypto i don't know uh somebody only got the last three minutes don't worry i'll publish this i will publish this and uh yeah have yourself a great evening everyone lots of love from up here i really do appreciate everyone's uh, calls and, and comments and questions and uh, particularly the dad earlier who struggled through all of these things. I, I hope that it goes well with your wife. I'm, I'm sure it'll be great for your daughter. And uh, take care, everyone. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, or I guess <laughs> what's left of it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye. You too. <laughs> Thanks. Bye.